Are you in Brisbane and looking for Brisbane's largest range of premium aerosols? Crush City was established in 2010 to provide a great retail space and the best quality materials and equipment for every occasion, with heavy stocks of Montana cans, Iron Lac, Bez, Loop and Molotov. To find out more, including opening times and deliveries, get at the team at crushcity.com.au or get at the team via Crush City Fame on Instagram or head into the shop at 423 Ipswich Road, Annerley. Crush City are proud sponsors of Beers, Beats and the Biz. Doors closing. Please stand clear. Media Fortress is an Australian web hosting company operating out of Melbourne, established in 2009. They offer domains, hosting, website builders and online marketing support. If you are sick of sending your dollars overseas for a slow loading website, check out Media Fortress. They will transfer your website free. Domains from as little as $17.50 and hosting from as low as $7.50 per month. Head to mediafortress.com.au for 100% Australian-owned domain registration and Australian hosting, custom website design, and search engine optimization and marketing. That's Media Fortress, mediafortress.com.au, or call them on 1300 308 488. Media Fortress are official sponsors of Beers, Beats and the Beers. Support businesses supporting us. You want to know the real deal? Here it is. You tuned in to Beers, Beats and the Beers. All right, check it out. This is the Beers, Beats and the Beers podcast back in effect for another week, broadcasting live from the Shire Studios, as we always do. My man Insidious on the board, super producer Insidious, my boy. And uh, man, we are joined by a fucking legend this week. If you are pressing play, you already know what it is. And uh, I'm I'm fucking excited, man. I'm excited. This is one of my bucket list guests, man. The one and only fucking Matty B. But just right quick before I introduce Matty to the mic, you know, I don't want to waste too much time last week we were joined by scrub it was a cracker of a combo man we just sat down it was our uh, i think it was one of our first oh no actually fuck we've had a couple of in-studio guests lately but yeah scrub was one of the first sort of to come back to the studio in recent times it was actually his second appearance he appeared back on episode nine and there he was again at episode 95 and as of re- well, as of recording this they haven't even launched their record yet but I, I you know i was thinking every time i go into these episodes i'm always thinking how do we kick this sort of shit off and like all i can do is just say man this is one of my bucket list guests i'm honored to fucking have this man at the end of a fucking phone line um and we're going to go through all this history the one and only matty b matty are you there my bro yeah, I got you, Jake. Oh, mate, it is fucking fantastic, dude. Like, you know, you know, you and I, we've had a couple of conversations or, you know, we're talking last night and we had a brief convo last week and shit like that. But, dude, it is a fucking, man, it's an honor to hear your voice again, dude. And to and to have you, you know, on this show, no less. Yeah, it's an honor to be on the show, Jake. And it's just really nice to reconnect with yourself. You're Absolutely. an old man. So, yeah, it's, it's, it, I'm just, yeah, real happy to chat with you. No, it's a fucking honour, dude, and um, yeah, like I was talking to Maddie last night, and you know, once again, Maddie's in Perth, or he's not even in Perth. Where are you now, Maddie? I live south of Perth, three hours in yeah. Margaret River. Margaret River, yeah, yeah. So I've just got to be conscious of the time delay between us because there is a couple of hours time delay between Brisbane and Perth, and you know, so when you're talking, I'll just try and lay back off the mic and shit. But yeah, as you stated, man, listen, Maddie, you know, man, fucking, we used to knock around with Maddie way back, like back in the mid two thousand, early to mid two thousands. We used to always see him around the traps and stuff, and then you know, he moved up to Brisbane, was living down the coast, or well, not moved to Brisbane, moved to the coast, and was staying down there for a while, and. 
and uh, you know definitely became a good friend of 750. Always has been, you know, always has been. We'd bump into Maddie at Melbourne Airport in town, fucking you know all over the place. Maddie would just pop up and uh, just you know over the past couple of days having a convo and going backwards, backwards and forwards via the textual transmission and all that sort of shit, dude. It's just been it's fucking dope, dude. And like like some of the memories have come flooding back for me, bro. Like you know you brought one of the first, well, one of the earliest times of me meeting Hunter, you brought him over our house, you know, because you were tight with Oath and, you know, via Oath, us and all that sort of shit, the town drunks and 750 and all that. And like, you know, I was telling you last night, I was like, man, I remember you bringing fucking Hunter over our place when he came up to Brisbane and, you know, we dragged the couch into the street and having beers and shit and, you know, and then beyond that, like there'd be those random nights, dude, where fuck, you know, you'd, you'd crash on our couch, you know, when it was me, Lopsy and all that over at fucking uh, Cooper's Plains and shit dude like it's dude it's fucking it is amazing to reconnect with you bro it truly is yeah lots happened since then jake it's um those times you talked about in brisbane were awesome and um all of 750 and lazy grown ken oath and all the boys playing one of all been really really good to me and i feel really blessed to have had that time and living on the gold coast was phenomenal yeah. i actually lived there seven years so i lived on the gold coast seven years and um would come up to brisbane and and get in the in the in the mix with the hip-hop scene and and just have a good time with the boys and yeah, um always it's real good you bring up hunter too you know because he was he's one of the best blokes you could have a beer with you know yeah absolutely dude absolutely i think i've, I've told the story on this podcast because i remember when you brought him around he came up and he had a fucking, like he had a satchel, like a record bag type thing. And um, I remember that if he had fucking 30 records in there, every one of them was Australian and there was one, like I remember there was one US record and it was fucking Eric B and Rakim's paid in full, but everything was Aussie man. Like he had all the Boney and Stonies, the Celsiuses, the Culture Kings, the, you know, all the, all the joints up until that time, you know, everything was on wax, amateurs, fucking authentic, you know, and I just remember, man, I remember there was one US record in that thing, you know, and it was fucking, or in his collection at that point. And that was uh, Eric B's, Eric, Eric B and Rakim's paid in full. Like, I don't know, just always sticks out because he was playing us joints, you know, like like he went into the lounge room and he put on Boney and Stoney and yeah, man, I remember it was like me, you, I think Reelsy was there and proof and that. And yeah, we just kicked it all afternoon and just fucking drank. It's, you know, it's just one of those sort of classic moments to me, man. It's one of those moments that I feel honored to have, uh, you know, to have been a part of, you know, like, and you know, you sort of brought him around, bro. Yeah. Well, Hunter was so enthusiastic about Australian hip hop and he was such an ambassador for it. He was like, I would never cruise around with a record bag, you yeah. know, with records in it. But he was that kind of guy that wanted to pull the records out and go, look, I've got this one and let's have a listen. And he just really loved it, mate. He was as big a fan as, and he was a legend, mate, like in terms of such a great rapper and so raw and so unflinchingly honest and yeah. genuine. But um, he just, he was the biggest fan too. Yeah, definitely. You go to a hip hop gig, mate, and, and Hunter was in the mosh pit, you know? Yeah, 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 100%. While his mates are up rapping on stage, he's in the middle of the mosh pit. I'm, I'm actually guilty of that, doing that with Hunter, so. Yeah. Yeah, he, he really loved loved his music and he loved Aussie hip-hop and he was a real ambassador. There's no other way to put it. No, and he'd always want to bring his records along and, 
and play them and have fun with the boys, you know. He was a definite ambassador, bro, hey, like 100%, you know. Like even I, I first met him at the Culture of Kings thing. So when I was doing like oaths, when I was hyping up oath on those uh, early Culture of Kings launches in Adelaide, Melbourne, and then in Brisbane too. And um, I remember he was oh, – I don't know if he was in Brizzy, but, yeah, he was definitely Adelaide and Melbourne and shit like that. And, yeah, man, we'd see him around. I know Eric became quite good friends with him, you know, over time. Just He'd be flying over to Perth and fucking painting those wicked campers and all that sort of shit and he'd spend a lot of time with hunter and you know and then yeah that day you brought him over our place man it's just yeah it's just a fucking it's a great memory to have man and a great memory to have of that dude you know in that in that period too like where he was dude like you said that that 100 that ambassador but you know listen dude we're going to get into we'll get into hunter we'll get into all our history and all that sort of shit but maddie where have you been bro where have you been for like fucking 15 16 years brother it's a good question for so, those uh, listening man so simple but effective came out in 06 in 2006 yep. and it was kind of it didn't um it was a bit of a had a few problems making that record along the way it wasn't it was definitely flawed the, the creative process mm. uh, only through fault of my own no one else who was involved yeah and um so i ended up in 2009 i was still living on the gold coast and someone came through from WA and they offered me a job in the mines and that drag and the mining boom was just hitting then. Wow, yeah. And that kind of dragged me back to WA, which was good. It took me home and um, yeah, I did mining for two years and then I traveled the world for 11 months being a, a tourist and a surfer, a bit of sightseeing and surf, yep. a lot of both. Yep. And, um, and then did two more years in the mines. And then ever since then, I've been down around here where I live, south of Perth, surfing and, and coaching and, and um, surf coaching and and living the life, you know, yeah, living definitely. in the country, which is pretty nice. Yeah, absolutely. And we should we should state from the outset, you know, for anyone that doesn't know, I don't know how you wouldn't know, but Maddie is, you know, you've been surfing fucking your entire life, haven't you, bro? Weren't you pro as a kid? Um, no, I had aspirations of being a pro yep. and didn't quite make it. I was one of those kids, you know, well, yep. probably was nowhere near good enough, to be honest. Mm. But it was something I always really wanted and um, just loved it, mate. Just loved surfing. I've done it since I was five years old. Yeah. And that and that was that was why you relocated to the coast too, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah, down yep, to the, the Gold Coast started pumping sand yep. from the Tweed River around into Snapper Rocks and Kira and Duranbar and it formed this amazing wave called the Superbank and it was mate, it was phenomenal. It was like a something out of a video game, you know, it was just so perfect and so long and so hollow. I went there for a trip. Mm. Um it was it was Easter two thousand and two I went there and I went to the Byron Bay Blues and Roots Festival and had one of those really cool surfing trips. And um the waves were so good, I went home and just packed up and came back there and lived there for seven years. Yeah, dude. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. Boom. Just like that because the waves brought me there for sure. Yeah, yeah And it was, yeah. and the people of Coolangatta were awesome to me. It was the best set. It was really seven of the greatest years of my life. I shouldn't say the best because they just keep getting better. Yeah. And uh, all my years have been good um, yeah. and all the people I've connected with have been great to me, so it's not – I wouldn't want to just say they were the best years of my life, but it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Did you go from did you, 
Did you go from Perth to Cooley? Yeah, I moved from Perth to Coolangatta. Yeah. yeah, right. Wow. Fuck, yeah. Because I thought you were at Kira or something too for a minute there. Kira, Coolangatta is kind of the same town. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, they are close, I suppose, eh? Yep. Yeah. Actually, fuck, dude. I heard something the other day about bloody – if you were to visit every fucking – like every individual beach along our coastlines, you know, if you took one day visiting each individual beach along our coast, it would take you 27 years to get around this country, visiting one beach per day. You know, like that's how many fucking beaches we have. You know, we're fucking blessed in this country, bro. It's a huge island. Yeah, dude. Yeah, exactly, man. Exactly right. Exactly no, right. It's the best place on earth, Jake. That's yeah. why we live here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, how'd you find, like, when you went over, when you went back and then you did the mining and stuff and then you went and toured, like you were saying to me the other night, you pretty much went on a surfing tour almost, 11 months just traveling around the world. Like, where were the spots, bro? Like, I mean, fuck, we could probably spend three hours of a podcast just talking about your travels. But, you know, like, what were some of the sort of standout places you visited over the course of that 11 months of travel? I can tell you the circuit in about two minutes so it doesn't fill the podcast up <laughs> and I can just tell you the highlights in, yeah, within, you know, so basically my mate was getting married in Fiji. So I went there and I was the um, master of ceremonies at his wedding. Yeah. And then I went to Peru. I lived there four and a half months and then two and a half months living in Mexico. So seven months in Latin America, just surfing flat out and living the life, Sick. going to reggae concerts. Partying, you know. Yeah. You know, bruise like you can you can fill in the gaps for me, mate. But um, <laughs> no we, doubt. <laughs> we went there and um, you know, gave it a good go and, and had amazing waves. And I went to Machu Picchu, the lost city of the Incas. Mm. From Peru, I went to Mexico um, and just surfed a really idyllic place. And then a really ideal, well, a few idyllic places on the Oaxaca coastline. And then from there, I went New York, London. Rome, Florence, Venice, Paris, Amsterdam, Hong Kong, and then lived in three months on the way home in Indonesia surfing as well. So that was that's the whole trip yeah. in a nutshell. And um, it, it went over 11 months. And um, I think Mexico is definitely the highlight. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. Fuck, it'd be amazing, man. I've never seen Mexico. That'd be crazy. The surfing there kept you there? For that six months? It's waves, warm weather. You never put a wetsuit on. The food's just fresh seafood and fish all the time, mm. rice and black beans and, and fruit, mate, lots of tropical fruit and just a a tropical paradise, really. And yeah, um, I went to this one place where the police and the military don't go. It's called Chikawa. It's in this river mouth mm. at, the, at the end of this river mouth promontory. And that had most... Perfect waves, and um, it was a very bohemian place because there's no military or police presence there. And apparently, a slave ship had been marooned a hundred years ago there, and all the um, slaves had African they'd swum ashore and mated, or you know, had interbred with these Mexican people. So yeah, there's that guys at this place that looked like. There's a kid called Omar who surfed really good. He looked like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. And his father his father looked exactly like James Brown and Jesus. had the, 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 the same afro with the sideies. And they were very 
um, and you could smoke weed there. No one cared. You could do whatever you want. It was just like a paradise. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. You kind of sit in a place like that and you go, this is when you see those movies where the criminals get away with the millions of dollars and go to a beach <laughs> yeah. in South America or Central America. Yeah, dude. It's That's what it is. It's absolute paradise, you know. Fuck, fuck. Sounds like it. Mm. Yeah, dude. Well, when did you get back from there? Um. That was I, – I left for that trip in November 2011 yeah. and got home in October of 2012. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And then what was – what what sort of fucking – dude, I mean, we're still – even then, we're still talking 10 years between then and now. Like, where where, where you been, bro? What's been happening? Well, then I went back out to the mines for two years. Yep. And I lived down in this area, the Margaret River region. I actually live at the moment in Quarrimup, but – um which is close by to Margaret River, but I was living more up the northern end, which is Dunsborough or Yelling Up. Mm. Um, and it's this place is just uh, craft breweries, uh, vineyards, incredible. You know, we're on a cape. It doesn't matter. You can drive 10 minutes and you can be in a, a sheltered beach with no wind Yeah, because you, you're on a cape. It's kind of like living on an island. And the waves here are world class and uh, a lot of, you know, when – when uh, professional surfers talk about this coast, they uh, put it next to Hawaii as being one of the most powerful coasts in no the sure. surfing world. So it, it, living here is world class for me, you know what I mean? And I work as a surf coach. Yeah, yeah. So I, I basically, while I worked after getting back from the world tour and doing the two years in the mines, I lived down here on my week off and then because oh, it was a two-in-one roster and then I did that. Towards the last seven months of it, I lived in Bali. Ah, on nice. Week off. So I was FIFO out of Bali and I was driving a dump truck for Rio Tinso up north and but living in Bali and surfing perfect waves. Fucking beautiful. And partying and playing up like a secondhand lawnmower. <laughs> 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 Fucking two bob watch, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you can imagine. I can imagine, dude. <laughs> Oh, it's fucking crazy, bro. But listen, man, like, you know, we'll get, we'll get, you know, we go backwards, we go forwards, we go fucking through all this shit, man. Like, but listen, man, the, you know, what we really should get to is that you are fucking back in the studio, bro. You are back making music. We've been talking about it over the past couple of days. Maddie even, Maddie even let me in on a couple of verses that he's got coming out and shit. Like, man, this is vintage, like the, the vintage but new. You know, like this is this is Maddie and like and dude, what I, what you you know what you were sort of spitting to me, you're fucking stepping it up, bro. Like you know, you're back, you're back because you know this is for those listening, man. This is a man. You know, when I say he's one of those pieces of the puzzle, like he's a man that gave us those moments you know like fridays fridays alone is you know probably you know it's got to be it's one of the earliest you know sort of it's one of the earliest hip-hop tracks to really catch commercial burn like that you know to get that fucking play you know it was kind of like you know fridays the barbecue song you know i think it really kicked off with the barbecue song and then sort of fridays came through and shit like that like dude you've given us moments i mean beyond fridays do i mean beer with dazza the courageous lp fucking courageous itself culture of kings like i want to go through all this shit dude but right today you are back in the studio bro you are back working you're working with numerous artists around the country what can you let us in on man what do what you know what can you fucking share with us all um well it, it's all about really um, always being SBX and being syllabolic um, 
of syllabolic member and I've got to thank the boys. They've always kept the studio door wide open for me. You know yep. what I mean? Yeah. Super, you know, super shouts to Syllabolics too. We've had Opt on the show. We've had um, – mm. fuck, we've had Opt on the show. We've had Mortar on the show. Um, fuck, well, dude, that's – you know, like, fuck, we've been pretty slack in terms of going to Perth and stuff like that. But, yeah, sorry to cut you off, bro. But, yeah, big shouts to the Syllabolics crew. No, that's cool. Um, and, um, yeah, so um, – I always made rap with Optimus. Optimus discovered who I was back in the day, and he, we always kept in contact, mm. you know, a fair bit, even while I was doing other things and, and not doing hip-hop. But what I was trying to say is the boys always kept the studio door open and were always so welcoming, even though I wasn't contributing anything to the scene, mm. which I just think that the loyalty they showed me is phenomenal, and I've, I count my blessings every day, and I'm real blessed to be a part of the Syllabolics crew. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, me and Scott, he would occasionally we'd record, and about three, four years ago, Scott was working on a Syllabolics record, and we all he rented this house, and um, overlooking the beach it was a mansion Airbnb, and he invited all the boys, and we all spat verses for a Syllabolics record. And um, that hasn't come out yet, um, but I'm, I'm sure one day it'll it'll come out of the vault. And it was just the funnest weekend ever. We got to see Downside play with AB Original Sick. at this um, event in Perth down on the river. And it was like I got to rap with the boys. I got to go to a rap show with the boys. And at that point, I was like, geez, I really, really miss this. You know what I mean? Yeah. I miss this so much. And then whenever Downside came to Margaret River, I'd go see them. And then D-Raf started coming down when he'd come to Margaret River. I caught up with him on a couple of occasions too. And and, and seeing Complete and OMAC and the, the Psych Ward and all the great new WA hip-hop coming through, it was really, I was like, man, I can do this. You know what I mean? Why aren't I doing this? It yeah. really made me ask the question to myself. And then um, Scott would come down and say, let's record you for a weekend for fun. And he'd come down and he got an Airbnb and I did a couple of songs that are actually on the new album. Sick. So I did like two or three songs and they weren't bad, you know. They were pretty good. <laughs> Going to go on the album. And um, and then he just said, we always talked about, I was like, I should do an album, Scott. And he was like, yeah, you should do an album. And then he'd go back to his busy life and I'd go back to my busy life three hours down the coast. Mm. And then we'd might. And then nothing really would happen because we were busy with other stuff. And then I just said, um, I was writing raps, you know, I was writing a lot of raps. Um, I started to listen to, I'm trying to think of the time frame where I really got busy um, writing, but I think it was the thing that really kicked that recently was draft came down to Margaret River. Just not not that long ago, like four months ago, five yep. months ago. Yeah. I'm sorry my memory doesn't serve me well. I think it was a September or October show. Yeah, yeah. And he gave me four of his CDs. In the meantime, I'd been listening to The Underestimated for a few years by Lazy Gray, who's always been a real favourite of mine. Yeah. And that fired me up. That CD really fired me up. And then Bias B sent me one of his discs, and Len and Bias always send me things in the post. Thanks, Lenny and Bias. You guys are legends. Yep. They send me presents in the post, and it's always music. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, so I got – Lenny was sent me the um, 
he underestimated and Bias sent me his new joint and he sent me a rapper he really liked called Tommy Baker and I really like the way Tommy Baker raps and he's really street and he's not street anymore but he raps about when he was really street and what he was up to yeah. and it's really uh, proper hip hop and he's great and his flow patterns were just phenomenal and his beats were cool and the way he used the language was really funny and quirky like he made you laugh yeah and um yeah I really love hip-hop that makes me laugh. So I was listening to Tommy Baker and Lazy Gray, but a lot of drafts, the albums I was listening to of drafts were Who Am I, um, Brothers Grimm, Shadows and Shining and Four Mirrors. I was just listening to them a lot. And that became a tutorial for me because we know how um, successful draft is. Yeah. Um, we also know how humble and how much of a real dude he is. And yeah. comes from a graph background and how he's – just one of the nicest humans on the planet. So he had me at the show for free and let me drink the rider and then gave me four CDs. Yeah. And I, by then I was already really motivated to write. It was um, I just really, uh, it was burning inside me. And then I just used his CDs as textbooks because for me, he's the most lyrically skilled guy in Australia, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, most diverse and just, yeah talented so I, I was just drawing inspiration from draft from tommy baker from bias b and from lazy gray and i can honestly say they're the artists that really got this kick kicked back in for me you know kicked yeah. me back into really wanting to write that's dope dude you know i haven't you meant you you spoke about tommy baker last night dude i haven't heard much about him is bias producing him or was he sort of is he um is you know is I he out, out there doing his own thing no there's a guy called Mixer that makes his beats. Yeah, I remember Mel Mixer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And Mixer is also where Bias records sometimes. Yeah. Well, Mixer, and, uh, Mixer used to be Bias's DJ too, didn't he? Yeah, I think he DJs for him. I know that he helps arrange his track show. I think Mixer is an integral part of Bias's creative process. Yeah, he's always a good dude too. Work he's doing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and Tommy Baker also records at Mixer's studio. So. Ah, right. So there's a connection there, and yeah. um, yeah, he just gave me this Tommy Baker CD, mate, and it was just so much fun to listen to, and um, yeah, it was cool. It was just really good, really refreshing, because I think hip hop has either become really emo, uh -huh. which yeah. is a bit bit soft, and then yeah, yeah, no Tommy doubt. Baker's just so street, and he just comes out so hard, and just. I always love the ghetto boys and I really love that style of rap, just coming out and going, look, fucking hard enough. And he had that edge, he had that edginess to him and I was like, man, I like this guy, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, I, his album, Underestimated, Bias B's latest one, and those four draft albums were pretty much the textbooks yeah. that I studied in and inside and out and they're all friends but apart from Tommy Baker they're all mates that's it dude that's it that's it now that's it like even fucking even last week man when we had uh scrub on you know like He's a, he's a kid doing his thing up here in Brisbane at the moment. He's, you know, he's fucking doing, you know, doing fucking moderately big things too, might I add. And, um, you know, he was talking about, he's like, man, I was going back and I was listening to MOP and I was listening to this going into, you know, going into writing his new record. And that's what I said, man. I said, listen, bro, if you go to fucking university, man, like, you know, they expect you to go into the library and study the texts and all that kind of thing. That's what it is, man. When you go into, you know, when you go into making an album, that's your fucking, that's your essay, that's your thesis, you know? 
know, like you got to go in and study something in order to fucking create that. You need to be inspired. You need to have something that pushes your pen, you know, like that, that that's, it's doing the knowledge, man. That's what it is. You know, like you go into those fucking records and that's a dope selection of records too, man. Yeah. It's just, yeah. The, when you really like records and, and the, it's really good, it's like, wow, this makes me want to do it. You know what I mean? hundred percent, bro. It, that sounds really fun. I want to do something really fun, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you forged, like, dude, and even, like, you know, I was thinking, man, like, you are truly the – you know, the, the precursor to draft in terms of what you did out of Perth, you know, like what you did coming out of Perth with the Courageous LP, you know, when we heard, when we heard the first Culture Kings and we heard Courageous and then the Courageous LP drops a year or so later, you know, like in, in my eyes, you know, like feel free to tell me otherwise, but I, I feel as though that you are the very much the precursor to draft in what draft would do following you know, following what you did with Fridays and all that kind of thing, man, you know, and I want to go into these songs and albums, you know, um, individually and all that kind of shit, you know, as, as I always stated, this shit just goes everywhere, but like, bro, you opened up those doors, dude, you opened up those doors, man, you know, for artists, yeah. for artists of that ilk to get, to get, to get that play. I, I don't reckon I opened up those doors. Mm -hmm. I reckon Hilltops and people like that and, and Mass MC with Barbecue Song, they had already kind of opened them a bit. Yeah, but the, even the hoods come along slightly after uh, you, bro. But with the draft thing, he was he was um, he was cruising with us, and he was he was in year twelve. He was in the last year of high school when I met him. Yeah, and he was more into graph than writing raps. Yeah, and um, and then he started to write raps, and he pretty much I, I know because he's a friend. He, he stayed in his bedroom and just wrote, 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 wrote and worked on his craft and worked at it and worked at it, worked at it. Paul, he drank a bit, but he was never into partying or any hard stuff or anything like we were. He yeah. was a much more focused individual. Yeah. And he worked really hard and he got really good really fast. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude. He to, his to his credit, mate, he worked at it. We were all out partying, having a good time, and he was, he was head down and bum up. Mm. And then he just he came out on Dundee L and he just blew us all out of the water. Yeah. As yeah. soon as we heard him, we're like, this is the best Syllabolics member we have. Yeah. And he's been the best one ever since. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, and he, I grew up in the beach surfing. He grew up in North Perth. He grew up in the hip-hop scene. I grew up in the surfing scene with heavy metal and punk yeah. and reggae. And, mate, he it, it just cultivated him into – the amazing artist that he is, but he got good real quick, but he worked hard at it. He worked super hard and he still works super hard to the day. That guy's the hardest working musician. There's not a day where he doesn't do music, you know? And a hundred percent. He deserved, bro, he deserves a success. And as you said, like, I remember when I first heard Draft Man, like, out the gate, he sounded fucking good. Like, I, I think the first thing I heard was, like, Pale Rider. I remember that, you know, I remember that, you know, sort of floating around in Brisbane and stuff like that. And out the gate, man, that dude, what, you know, like, you could hear skill. Blew everyone out of the water, And man. unique, and unique. 
and just blew everyone clean out of the water. Yeah, because that's what like that's what fucking SBX syllabolics, dude. You guys coming out of Perth, that's what you's had. You's had a group of really unique individuals flying under that banner. You know, you had draft, you had downside, you had yourself, you had Hunter, then you had clandestine. Like you had kind of all facets of hip hop almost covered across a crew. You know, and bringing like you know you kind of you come along as you know as you said like that surfy, but you know super character character dude and you you kick down like listen man you don't want to take the credit i'm going to hand it to you dude because you kick down doors early and i and i and and to my knowledge man you predate the hoods even getting that kind of radio love like you really do i think you come off the back of off the back of um barbecue song with fridays and that but you know even courageous i remember courageous getting play on triple j and all that sort of shit and then when simple but effective dropped i think something off that got a couple of spins and stuff but you know like in terms of what sbx did dude you know you got fucking clandestine real fucking street level i mean downside you know what i mean fuck forget about it i mean what a down downside did everything and then draft man you know like it's a it, it's it's an amazing crew, bro. An amazing crew of fucking incredibly talented individuals, you know? Landestine were phenomenal, though, before their time. Yeah, definitely, they, dude. Definitely. They were like Jedi mind tricks of Australia before people even really appreciated Jedi mind tricks for who they were. I kind of agree, eh? I definitely agree. They, yeah. were, like the, uh, uh, they, they were a bit like the Grave Diggers a bit too and that Wu-Tangy stuff. I really liked them and, and Tomo drew that really cool art. Yeah. I love the Landestine and um, – but I'll tell you who brought clandestine draft, me, Hunter. The, the man who brought us all together and made us a family is Optimus, mate. Yes, yep, 100%. That guy's the binding agent, the glue. He's the guy that said, hey, we're a family and brought us together and made us a family, and he still holds that role, you know what I mean? He's the master of arms. He's the He, he keeps us all together, mate. He gets us all on the same page. and he, He's helping me. I'm only recording this album only with Scott tracking my vocals and, and standing next to me and looking at my work because he's such a nice human being yeah. and a great friend. And he's he's the he, – that's the granddaddy of syllabolics, you know. Yeah, 100%. And he also knows, like, you know, he he's – as you said, he kind of put you on to begin with. You know, like, listen, for anyone listening, go back to his episode. We had Optimus on, um, fuck, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 episodes ago. I can't remember. It was a great conversation, man. Like, you know, if if any of you dudes ever make it to Brisbane, man, I want to get you in the studio to sit down, you know. Like, Optimus was amazing, you know. Like, it was just a great conversation. Go back in the history books and go through that one because we talk a lot of the SBX stuff and all that kind of thing in that episode. But, um, fuck, what was my point? I can't even remember. But, like, even when you were – um. Like when you were up here, and I remember you were recording with Gav doing simple but effective. You were still sending all the mu- all the music over to Optimus, weren't you? So Gav was just recording, and then you were sending the shit over to Perth. Yeah, he he, he did the arrangement. Yeah, 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 it was yeah. Him yeah. or Darren at the time. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was always him and Darren that helped me the most, you know. Yeah. That was that, that found me, and the song that was on Culture Kings One was uh, courageous. And there's some interesting things about that song. It's the first rap song I ever wrote. I was about to ask. I was about to ask. Yeah. yeah. The first one I ever wrote, and yeah. it got straight on a compilation album. Now, think about it like I wasn't from the inner city like Draft and like all the oh, – I didn't grow up with much hip-hop culture. And I just happened to meet them and had a little crack, and it was almost like it got on Culture of Kings 1 – and I still didn't know how to rap, Jake, really. You yeah. know what I mean? I was a learner. Yeah. I was still a learner. And um, 
and from there, from that point onwards, I didn't work very hard at my music. So um, that's the biggest lesson for me with all that historical stuff is that maybe this time around, I put a lot more effort into the music. You know what I mean? The step step the lyrics lot- up, like you like you just you know you you know is are you placing a lot more focus in your sort of lyrical content or delivery or flow at, at this point uh yeah the flow and rapping on faster beats yep different flow patterns and trying to be yeah become more complex um yep. you know, i still feel like i'm just a student of the game 100%. surrounded by all these amazing mentors like optimus draft and disaster mate disasters this Everyone thinks, you know, he's a producer, but, mate, he's he, the way he raps is just absolutely ridiculous. And then you've got Morda, you know, like oh, the list goes on with the right. syllabolics. It's so deep. There's so many good guys. Yeah, yeah. I just feel like I'm still learning from the boys. I feel like I'm the the guy learning off the rest of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude, yeah. And, 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 that goes, and that goes back to what I'm saying, man. Like, I seriously think it is without fail one of the most unique crews in Australia in that – what unique in that the individuals within the crew are, are just – you know, you all stand separate. You know, like even with like – you know, us even like 750 and all, you know, like we're largely kind of – you know, we kind of follow the mould, you know, like we follow the mould, the lay set or, you know, whatever. You guys all kind of did your thing. You know, like, and, and, you know, when you talk about the, when you talk about courageous and all that kind of thing, you have to listen to it within the context of the time that it was released. You know, like when you listen to it today, you gotta understand, man, this, like you you were, you were writing raps when this fucking country didn't even know what Australian rappers were, you know, or could be, you know, and you're fucking doing it in that moment, regardless of what background you come from, you know? Yeah, sure, Mortar, Draft, you know, Daz, there's a handful that are fucking definitely technically more proficient than what you were, but still, man, like, you know, it's 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 within the context of the time period to me, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's part of the charm of the music, dude. It's part of your character, you know? Well, that's, that's nice of you to say that. Oh, fuck, I, I, man, I fucking, like, you know, that's what it is, bro. Listen, dude, you fucking, listen, man, I was going through your joints on YouTube today. Half a million fucking plays, some of them, bro. You know, like, and they're not, they, like, some of them half a million plays. And they're not even got videos, man. They're not even <sighs> clips. They're just fucking songs with the album cover attached. You know, like, it's like, fuck, man. <laughs> and then you scroll through the comments. It's like, where's Maddie? Where's Maddie? And, you know, like, that's why I was like, man, uh, you know, like, I've been the same, bro. I've been like, where's Maddie? Like, you know, what's Maddie doing? I think when we spoke to Optimus, it was like, where's Maddie at? You know, like, where's fucking Maddie? Because as as stated from the outset, you know, we always used to bump into one another all around the traps, you know. We'd be at fucking Melbourne Airport, walking into Melbourne Airport, coming back to Brisbane, and Maddie would be walking out of it, you know. Like, it'd be like, fuck, let's go share a split in the car park, and, you know, we'll go our way and you go yours. And, you know, and then we bump into you in Brisbane and all that kind of shit. And, dude, it's fucking, bro, it's great to hear you back into the swing of things. But, okay, so let's get back into, you know, like, I tend to fucking waffle on and shit, man. You know, we're going to get into the fucking nitty-gritty of all all this music and all that kind of thing, but you start you you forge some strong connections in Melbourne because your first song recorded winds up on Culture Kings, you know. So how does that come about, dude? Yeah, so um, can I tell you a little bit about the making of Courageous the Please song because it's a pretty quirky story. Please do, and brother. It's like a two-minute job, and and I know Optimus like like this. He likes this story. Yeah. So Opt came and picked me up. He had his sister's car. He was house mining for his sister in Doubleview, which is out near the surf where I live. 
and um, it's just behind Scarborough Beach, and I'm from Trigg, the beach next door to that. So he was only two suburbs away, and he came and got me, and he had his computer and some monitor speakers and a mic, and he'd set up a little studio in, at his sister's while he was house-minding so he could still work on his work, on his, mm. on his music. And there was an old guitar in the corner, and it was like the front face of it was kind of peeling off, so it had a, a gaping hole. And I played the guitar riff for Courageous, and he recorded it, and that's how we made the Courageous beat. It was really organic the way it came about. He was playing me beats, and I was that much of a novice that I didn't know what beats I liked to rap on. I was yeah. that green. I just didn't even have a clue. <laughs> yeah. And I I saw the guitar in the corner. I said, what if I just play something basic on that guitar and we build off that? Yeah. And I played that bit of twang that's on Courageous, and that's pretty much Courageous. Is My, my guitar riff is what drives that beat. And um, he made the song, and it was my first song I'd ever written and recorded, and, and then he... He liked it so much. He's like, I'm going to submit it for Culture of Kings. Yeah. And my, oh, I went into a panic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, oh, mate, you know, like I, then I'll have to write more. There's a lot of pressure. <laughs> but at the same time, I was excited, mate, and I didn't have a lot going on in my life, Jake. Yeah. And um, I was like, really wanted it. And I said, oh, yeah, that would be awesome. And when it got selected, because I think there was um, – I don't know how many tracks were on Culture of Kings 1. But a lot of people submitted. There was t between two and four hundred people that submitted songs. And Fucking Jesus! My first song that I'd ever written got on there. So that was Optimus and the old broken guitar at his sister's. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's all right. Well, you're on the on the compilation album. We're off to Adelaide and Melbourne to do a show, and you've got to come. And I was like, oh wow. <laughs> and, <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, bro. <laughs> so scared, you know, scared and trepidatious, but stoked and excited as well, you know? Yeah, 100%. But trying to contain the excitement and the, the nervousness and the fear and everything, all, you know, mixed emotions. And off we went, and um, I hit it off pretty good with the boys. And when I did, we did Adelaide first, and when I did Aussie Accents, that was – because I only had the one song, I had to quickly write some more songs and I wrote Aussie Accents and I think it was um, ADI, oh. ADD song. Yeah, yeah. Those two were, were penned. But I wrote this other thing called Freestyle Funk, which never became a track. Okay. Just this really, I wrote it in about 10, it was just like I needed something to take to Adelaide. And I think I did Courageous the freestyle funk sort of pretend track thing, demo thing, and um, Courageous, that one, and Aussie Accents. I did Aussie Accents. That was it. Yeah. And Brad Strutt came up to me and he he goes, look, mate, I've got a tear in my eye. He goes, I've been trying to tell cats around Melbourne to rap in an Australian accent for ages. He goes, he goes you just put in words in that track how me and all my – peers feel in Melbourne about the state of Aussie hip-hop. Yeah, dude. You know what I mean? Yep. And yep. he was a Virgo and I was a Virgo and we were similar kind of dudes, kind of edgy, you know? Yep. yep. And we just hit it off straight away. Me and Brad became mates. And as soon as I got to Melbourne, I was hanging with Brad and then introduced to – but it was him coming up and saying those kind words about Aussie accents as a song that, that really made us bond. And then 
once I got to Melbourne, I was hanging with him, Shaz Leck, um, Exhibit Bias, um, just all the boys in, involved with that scene, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I always wondered how, like, um, was there anyone else was downside on the first Culture of Kings? I just yeah, can't. Uh, yeah, they came along. They were on tour with me. They were on there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I, I can't remember. Yeah, it'd be about 14 songs or something like that. You know, like we had um, we had Shaz on the show. We had Shaz on the show at the start of the year. I think it was our first episode for um, for 2022. And we went into a lot of the Culture Kings uh, stuff with him, you know, and like, you know, where things went following that, obviously. But, you know, we got into a bit of the Culture Kings stuff with him. And, you know, that's like, it's, uh, you know, I, I love hearing those perspectives on those songs at that time. And that's the first joints you wrote, hey? Like, so fucking Aussie accents and all that kind of shit. I mean, they, they, they were, dude, they were legitimate issues to MCs at that point. Us, you know, like there were issues to us, you know, like we'd go out to clubs and shit and you'd have dudes rapping in American accents. That was some, that was some shit, you know, like that was some, that was some real thing. So you were fucking, you were jerrying to that shit early, bro. Like you were really fucking, you know, you're just fucking dipping your toes into the water, but you're already aware of some of the fucking, you know, some of the issues going on around the, around the culture at that time or the scene that was burgeoning in a way. Well, I used to rap out in the coastal suburbs at all the parties with all the surfers and skaters. Yeah. I did the freestyle about everything and, and make people laugh and, and do punchlines, but never in a hip-hop environment, yeah. only with other people who skated and surfed who we'd, we'd never met any rappers in our lives. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, I already felt that way. And, and when and they my mates who out there on the coast used to go, You've either got to become a stand-up comedian or a rapper, one yeah. or the other. Yeah. I was always like, I don't think either of that's going to happen. <laughs> it's kind of the answer I had. And I'd made up in my mind that if I was going to rap, it had to be in an Australian accent because rapping's about keeping it real and about your roots and your heritage, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I just didn't want to come off as... I just couldn't. I was too Aussie, mate. I was just too much of an Aussie bloke to, yeah. to even try to rap in an American accent. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, definitely. So that that was number two track I ever wrote. Was Aussie accents was the second song I ever wrote. What what fucking dude? What what were your influences early on? Like if you went into rap, were you listening to a lot of punk and metal and all that sort of early on? Oh no, I listened to heaps of rap because yeah, I okay. skateboarded as well as surf. So yeah, yeah. I like the Ghetto Boys. And obviously the early rap like uh, NWA I was right into yep. and um, Wu-Tang Clan and I was into heaps of hip-hop. Cypress Hill was big. Um, but there was lots of, you know, it's hard to know where to start. I was listening to heaps of stuff, KRS-One, yep. Nas. I was definitely exploring hip-hop music, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yep. as far as Aussie stuff went, I hadn't heard a lot, you know what I mean, really at all. That's it. There wasn't a lot to hear at that point in time, man. Yeah, well, Culture of Kings is when I really started listening to it because mm. I was a part of it. Yep. But I can tell you one thing, man. Like, before I met Optimus and the boys, I saw them play. They they opened up for Public Enemy. And that was a year or two before I even met them. Fuck. And I watched them rap. And they their early album was really cool, um, their Eponymous album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and was so good. And... They were rapping those tracks and they opened up for Public Enemy at Metropolis Nightclub and I was just there with a couple of mates from the neighbourhood 
And um, I was like, these guys are amazing. And I was looking at my mate going, I've got to meet these guys one day. If I'm ever going to rap, I'm going to have to meet these dudes. Yeah. And then I was hanging with a guy called Corey Day, who's now died. Yeah. May he rest in peace. He was the lead singer for a, a band called, a punk band called PC Thug. And Optimus is friends with everyone, all genres. He's just a great guy around the music scene in, in Perth. And I was at the Hyde Park Hotel with, with Corey Day and he introduced me to Optimus out the front. And then I didn't see Op for another six months. I saw him play at another little gig at mm. this, I think it was a community garden place, like, a you know, this really cool place where people were doing art and growing veggies. And, yeah. And I met them again there just by chance. I was with, probably with Corey Day again from the punk scene. Yeah. And um, and then um, I ended up living with my auntie in North Perth right around the corner from DJ Army. Yeah, I right. had to, With my auntie, I was broke. I'd been run foul of the law and I had a pending court case and it was time to sort of move back to your aunties and behave yourself. <laughs> I was, and on a Monday night, they had Aussie hip-hop night at the Hyde Park Hotel and it was two blocks away. Fuck. So I was going down on the Monday and watching the open mic and the DJing and Army was 16 and he was in the, already in the in there DJing up a storm, playing really good records, Yeah, American and Australian hip-hop. And um, I used to go down with my mate Kai and uh, in the end we – Kai knew I could rap because he'd been at all those parties where I used to rap out on the coast with the boys. And he, um, I think they were passing the mic around and I was too nervous to ask for a go. Yeah. I was really nervous, but I really wanted it at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And so Hunter spat this freestyle and my mate Kai took the mic out of his hand. We kind of nudged him and pointed at me saying, can this guy have a go? And Hunter passed him the mic and Kai passed it to me and that was the first time I'd ever rapped into a microphone. No shit. And, and I was standing next to MC Hunter, Dynamite, Optimus, DJ Army I think was DJing or DJ Nate at the time. Yeah. And I was just there. I was in it and I did a verse and um, not a verse, I just did a bit of a freestyle. I was going to say, did you just freestyle? Did, yeah. It was just a freestyle actually. Yeah. I. I just um, the wrong word came out, Jake, and um, did the freestyle and Optimus just beelined for me and just went, "Do you want to come outside and have a cipher with me and the boys?" And I was like, "Do I ever?" It was like the scene in Step Brothers when he goes, "Do you want to come in the in the garage and do karate?" And I was like, "Oh fuck yeah, I do!" You know what I mean? So I went outside and. We had a freestyle and it went on for ages and we were all having a lot of fun and enjoying one another's company. And before I know it, I was hanging with those boys every weekend. That's history, bro. That is history that's, right there. That's exactly how it went down. Without a word of a lie or anything, that's to a T what yeah. went down. So that, so that's is that the night you meet Hunter? Is that the night you meet sort of those Hunter, dudes? I'd already met Scotty a couple of times, but yeah. only like, Hey Scott, this is this. Hey, shake your hand, walk away. You wouldn't even remember. You yeah, know what I mean? Just passing, yeah. One of those gigs. But yeah, it was. Um, I remember it clear as day. I'd never wrapped into a microphone before. Just you holding my hand with the, the air mic 
at parties. Yeah, dude. Rap it yeah. to the air mic like, you know, people do air guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 100%. 100%. Skateboarding, skateboarding led, me, led me to a lot of good hip-hop music. I, I, the list is huge. All the good American hip-hop and the gangster stuff, the really pure hip-hop stuff like most deaf, the street stuff, all of it, you know. It was just skateboarding really helped me. Skaters listen to good music, you know. Dude, skating was a huge link to hip-hop for everyone, I think. Yeah. You know, like when it I was a kid, absolutely. It, it linked hip hop to the surfing neighborhood that I lived in, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. My yeah. mate Scoobs, my mate Scoobs, he had lots of good hip hop, and he skated better than all of us. And he plays hip hop, and we'd get into it, and it was awesome, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you go in, so when you go to write the how 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 much time between that sort of free, the, you know, that freestyle, the cipher, and going into the studio and penning courageous. It all happened within three or four months. Yep, yep. It happened really fast. It was really scary, and um, but it was really awesome at the time because I had nothing going on, Jake. I yeah. was I was fucking up, you know. Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, listen, you wear your heart on your sleeve in your music, bro. Like, you know, you can go back to, you know, attention deficit individual and all that kind of thing, and you can hear, you know, like, you know, like there, there's no question in my mind, you know, like about, you know, about Maddie, man. Like, you know, and just not only, you know, knowing you on a personal level to a degree, but, you know, just via the music, man, I feel like when you listen to your music, you get to know you through your music. You know, you hear the character that you are. You know, you put it all there, bro. It's all there for for people yeah, to hear. I put it out there. I've always been a pretty book. Yeah. Um. Obviously, being older and a bit more wily now, I know when to hold my play my. You know, not show my cards. Certainly, but certainly. Back in those days, mate, I was just here. I am fucking take me or leave me. And you know, people. Some people love me. Some people hated me. You know. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. I've I've got flogged as many times as I won. Probably more times than I won fights. But yeah, yeah. That was. My personality was in your face and it was straight up and I had a loud mouth and that's how I was. Yeah, dude. Yeah, but you're always fucking good-natured, bro. You know, like always. Yeah, I'm, always I'm, I'm pretty mellow. Yeah, dude. Always a good-natured dude, man. Always a good-natured dude. Yeah, probably, a hip, probably a hippie at heart, Jake, to be honest. 100%, know? bro. I, really, I remember, man, I remember this dude pulling out a fucking pipe on the, on the, in the Brisbane Mall and smoking weed. Like, there's hundreds of people. It's 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and Maddie's sitting on the bridge. Like, you know, we, we used to fucking drink, for those listening, we used to drink in the mall. Like, we'd we'd finish work on a Friday afternoon, go to Rocking Horse, have a dig, and then you were in there one afternoon, Maddie. You were. I was telling you a story last night, I think. Like, you fucking... You'd gone to register your tracks with APRA or something like that, or you'd been in the valley, and I remember you coming through, and it's like, Matty, and you sat down, dude, and you just pulled this pipe out and fucking start having a little chop in the middle of the fucking mall in town. It was just, you know, it was just dope, dude. Dope times, dude. Dope times, man. Fucking good times. But, like, moving through, moving through shit. Fucking, um, so courageous Courageous comes out, Culture Kings. Well, you know, so you're building those relationships around Melbourne at that time. You start hanging tight with Shaz and um, and Brad and Bias and all those, all those dudes through Obese. Yeah, yeah and there's a few other uh, really – yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to remember some of the other guys who didn't rap who were really cool. Well, how do, you, the- how do you come to be signed to Obese? How does that come about? Well, I never signed. Oh, you never um, signed I was always on my own label. Yeah. B-Style, um, B-Style Records? 
B-Style Entertainment was always my thing, and I'll bring out my new thing. will still be on B-Style Entertainment. And, um, but I needed someone to distro it, and um, I spoke to Shaz, and I said, look, I don't want to sign one of those record deal things where I don't own my music. Yeah. But yeah. how would you feel about um, a distro deal? And he was like, yep, no worries. And so he, he just, here, yeah, he did the distro. It saved me going to the post office and posting CDs all over the place, you yeah, know? Exactly, exactly. And um, that was it. And we'd become good mates and really enjoyed partying and having a good time together. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Shaz is a real character, as you know, yeah. and he's a real generous guy. He looked after the boys. He looked after me so well. He, he's like, you know, he's a bit of a father figure to yeah. that Melbourne, to the crew hanging around the OB shop. And I've heard stories from Bias where, you know, Bias and that are working in there and, and crew have come in wanting to cause trouble. Yeah. And and Shaz has just, Bias has rung him and said, you know, there's crew down here want, trying to beef and carry on. And within five minutes, Shaz has just driven down there yeah. and just, and pretty much dealt with these guys quick, Re regulated, quick, smart, regulated, <laughs> smart, regulated them, yeah. good handiwork. Yeah. And yeah. You know, cleaned up any mess. And that was Shaz was there for the boys all the time, mate. He's the, he's the man. And my agreement on the courageous LP was, was with Shaz. Yes. Yep. Yep. So at the agreement I had, when Pegs bought Obese Records, he had to honour that agreement. Yep. He wanted me to sign. He wanted me to sign on the dotted line. Ah, yeah. Um, Pegs like wanted me to, and because that's how he wanted to run the label. Yeah. So he wanted to have some control of the music of, of 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 other people, which is fine. That's what record companies do. Yeah, yeah. It's but I was, I was never down for that because I always wanted to own my own shit. And never be and always be my own master. And I was only ever looking for distro deals. Yeah, that's from it. my my perspective. That's the best way to put it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. absolutely. I've always wanted to retain full copyright ownership and be able to license my music to a compilation album like Dog's Breakfast and the Ministry of Sound one that I was on. Fridays went a long way. It ended up on two different there was Triple J's most requested, the Dog's Breakfast album. Yeah, yeah. And it's on that, and um, and Triple J had to deal with me directly. Yep. Not with Pegs because it was a, a distro deal, not not a record deal. Yes. Yeah, and uh, the same with the Ministry of Sound one. It was an FHM selections, like bloke songs. It was kind of like you bought FHM magazine and you got this free Ministry of Sound CD with. Oh, yeah. Songs for fellas, you know, it was for him magazine. Yeah, songs for blokes. That one too. So yeah. What was on that? And once I did Simple but Effective, I just moved to Shogun. I yeah. just got Shogun to distribute the music, but that's another whole story. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that, and we'll get into we'll get into the Friday stuff and all that sort of shit. But um, fuck, what was I going to say? Well, you dropped the same year as uh, the Authentic, didn't you? Courageous. Uh, what came... year was the Authentic? Well, the Authentic's O two. No, I was O one. You're O one, eh? Well, of O one, I think my stuff came out. Ah, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So slightly before I think the authentic. Wikipedia might be wrong. Sometimes Wikipedia gets edited wrong. Yeah, 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 but definitely. 
can correct it. It could be O two, but I'm pretty sure it was O one. Mm-hmm. Now, like I was saying, so, I was looking. I was looking for an actual release date. Like I was like, man, when did this come out? Because I was I was checking this morning, and Discogs is like O two, and then yeah, you got a Wikipedia page that says O two, and I'm like, I'm just looking for a release date. Like, was it March the fucking March the twenty third? You know, two thousand two, or was it two thousand one? Like, you know, I mean, Wikipedia, Wikipedia does get a lot wrong. If you can get hold of a CD in the case, yeah, it'll say it. It'll say executive produced by Matty B, copyright two thousand and one. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now it's just a so What I remember seeing on the product, because you know everything you sell has to have a copyright date on it. Yes. Yep. 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 I'm pretty sure that's what it says. But I, it, it, I would like to, if you'd like to, um, correct me, I, um, I'll stand corrected, but. I'm yeah, pretty sure two thousand one. I'd like to think it was anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it makes sense because it comes pretty quickly off the back of um, Culture Kings, doesn't it? So, okay. So, yeah. following you, you know, you drop on Culture Kings. You got Courageous on Culture Kings, the first, you know, the first joint. Are you like? Are you immediately working on tracks for the Courageous LP? Yeah. Off the back of that. You know, you were saying yeah, before, yeah, you did. Hard, but yeah, working on them for sure. No, not very hard. <laughs> yeah, working on them, but not working very hard at it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, tell us about it, dude. Like, say so you go back to Perth, you come over to Melbourne, you do a few shows and shit like that. Then you go back to Perth, and how's the process? Because you know, you 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 make the courageous LP with um, Optimus and Disaster. You know, largely, you know, they handle the bulk of bulk of the production and that man fuck can you get into a bit of that like sort of what's 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 next uh, attention deficit individual accents you know i mean dude it's a it's an album of fucking classics beer with dazza um respect with hunter i mean fucking raw cause bro raw cause is nuts like i was listening to that shit this morning and i was like dude this i'd forgotten how good some of these joints are you know like raw cause Raw cause, if the drums were just a little bit harder, it wouldn't sound out of place on like Showbiz and AG's Goodfellas. You know, like it's a fucking tough song, bro. Like it's fucking just, it's it's sick, you know. So how's the process, man, going into the album? You come back to Perth, you've sort of seen what's going on over in Melbourne and, you know, you're doing your thing now. Mate, let's get into it, like making the Courageous LP. Yeah, so we get back from Culture of Kings 1. And Scott says, because it's always Optimus who was helping me right by my side all the way through, he says, well, you've got to do an album now <laughs> because people, you know, you can't let them people sleep on you. That's it. And I don't even know really hip-hop terminology that much. And I was like, what does sleep on mean? He goes, forget, <laughs> he goes, forget about you, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I said, oh, sounds good. And then I got quite keen to do the album and then we just started chipping away at it you know yeah yeah and that was it and i think accents was the song and then we did the i think the third song that came was called the adi one would have to be the third song i wrote yeah, it's an amazing song amazing and then song. all the other ones came and all the songs came were written over, you know, that year between when the Culture of Kings 1 tour was and when Courageous came out in late 2001. So over the course of probably more than a year, let's say 18 to 20 months. Yep. And I had everything done and Fridays didn't exist yet, just to tell you exactly how it played out. And yeah. 
I was around at Daz's with Scott and um, he goes, I said, oh, well, is this it now? Can I put this out? Is that enough? Because I was a lazy, really <laughs> lazy man. And I was always trying to get out of um, rapping and get back to partying and going surfing and having a good time. So I was is that enough now? And he was like, nah, dude, you need one more song. I said, oh, and I think I got cranky. I was like, well, fuck, you know, I don't want to. <laughs> That's how lazy I was, you know. I was so humbly, you know. Yeah. And, um, and they said, no, you got to have another song. And I said, we're at Daz's, his parents' house, though. And I said, all right, well, Daz, have you got any beats? And he played the Friday's beat, and I liked it straight away. And I said, oh, I really like that beat. That's good. I said, can I get a pen and paper, please? I'll just go outside for a minute. I went outside. It might have been 20 minutes or an hour. It wasn't a long time, yeah. you know, yeah. if they watched half a movie. I don't know how much time lapsed. But I recorded Fridays that day, and that was the extra add-on track that the boys kind of forced old Grumpy to record. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do, mate. I do. <laughs> um, I think that's the most unflinchingly honest way to, to put it, and that was the song that everyone liked, so... It just showed me that you can sit there and pen these really political tracks. Like um, uh, the track I really like is um, the one about um, – well, I can't even remember the names of some of the songs. So the one where I'm having a go at John Howard for not saying good – Oh, Reconciliation. Not, reconciliation, yeah. Reconciliation, dude, so, absolutely. Yeah, important song too, dude, an important song. Map. So writing those really political tracks and making all the words rap used to take me months at a time. Yeah, yeah. To get them right, you know what I mean? And then Fridays was written in 20 minutes. <laughs> it's fucking, it's, and it's, it's, it's like like The ones put all the effort into sort of got overlooked or didn't become that popular, the political ones, I guess. But as soon as you rap about partying and having a good time and lighting up, People listen to the music, and that was a huge lesson for me, Jake. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You can't just be political. You can't just bang on about the negative things in the world. you got to rap about having a few beers and chasing a few girls and hanging with the boys, you know? For the courageous, I wanted to make some fun hip-hop and I wanted to make some really political, I guess you'd call it, you could call it punk-based hip-hop or just social commentary, you know, like, but Bob Marley's very political. All my influences were really political. Rage Against the Machine are phenomenal. You know, I love yeah. that band. Yeah, yeah. And yep. I wanted to sound like my heroes. And I thought if I was going to say something, I want to stick it to the man, yep. Jake. You know what I mean? I want to fucking tell the system how fucked it is. And I'm still doing it on the new album. A lot. Of, this is a lot more street, this new album, and a lot more battle rap. But it's still got the reggae and the the political undertones oh, all the way through it, just not whole songs. Yeah. Instead of have whole songs political, maybe just have a line that says it, you know, says what I want to say just in, in one one line. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Definitely. Sometimes, bro, listen, you you can convey a point as simply, you know, the, as, you know, it's as simple as conveying a point with a line or a whole song. It depends, you know, how you're approaching it and the whole bit. But that's what you, I mean, with, you know, with the Courageous LP, man, and like, you know, having it fresh in my mind, having gone through it over the past couple of days again and just like going through it, man, like there is a, it is a, it, it's a, it's an incredibly well-balanced album. And it's good to hear your perspective on that, like knowing the social 
unconscious that exists in you sort of beyond beyond the party because yeah you give us the party joints but then there's track like ADI dude is an incredibly personal song like you know you're, you're you're talking about your childhood you're talking about all kinds of mischief and all kinds of fucking goings on you know you that get was res- therapy for me that was a real therapy and um at that stage I hadn't been to counseling with my father and me and my father had had fallen out for mm. quite some years and and in between making that record and simple and simple but effective me and dad went to counseling and buried the hatchet and have been really good mates ever since yeah. so i hadn't been to a counselor ever in my life when i wrote the courageous and i think adi was me getting off the chest some things that that deeply upset me about my life you know yeah, what I mean? dude. yeah 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 that's just you know i'm just glad that me and the old boy are like tight tight as now and we're we're, we're best mates you know that's that's the that's the the end result's been awesome. Yeah, so you've reconciled some of those differences. Oh, we reconciled them and never even brought them up again. We yeah. just agreed to to forgive one another and only look at what we could give each other. Yeah, we and that's how we've played it. We just try and do nice things for each other now all the time. Yeah. Did he, did he did he hear ADI? Yeah, he did. He was he was he was actually quite hurt by it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah. I, you know, I didn't write it to hurt him. I Absolutely. wrote it to get stuff off my chest. Yeah, like it, it doesn't. Sorry? But if my dad's a real nice person, and he was deeply hurt by. It. And by the way, I had an awesome childhood. I just turned into a little wanker. You oh, know what I mean? Fucking most of us did, bro. There's no other way to put it, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. I turned into a little shit. I rebelled, you know. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I was the black sheep of my family. Yep, yep, yep. Most of us were, bro. Most of us were. I'm the only one without a master's degree. Everyone else has got a PhD or something in my family except me. I'm the uneducated one. Hip-hop was my college. Yes, dude. Yeah, that's it, dude. That's it. I mean, some of us gravitate to music, you know? Like, fuck, man, I come from a, I come from a big family and it's largely the same with me, dude. And, you know, like, I kind of realise as an adult that – this is where I'm supposed to be, man. Music is where I like. This is my fucking university, you know. Like I've tried, like I've done trades. I tried to do uni, you know, as a mature age student, all that kind of thing. Like, and I still couldn't fucking apply myself, you know. Like it just, it just wasn't there. Like I didn't do shit in school, you know. Like and then, you know, not doing shit in school, you know. My old man's kind of old fashioned. She's like, well, you got to get a trade. You're not going, you know, blah blah blah. You got to go become a. Go become a Sparky. Go become a this. Go become a that. So you go get a fucking trade. You leave school. That's what you get fucking told. That's what it is. You go work. And then, you know, the only, I mean, I only ever worked, even when I worked, I only worked to make music, man. Like, you know, I've always said work just facilitated the life beyond it. You know, that's all it was. I just got a paycheck just so I could go fucking buy a six pack and fucking go write some rap songs, you know, and that's what it was, man. You know, and that's where, I don't know, you just come to that realization as you get older that fuck, man this is who we are. This is what we're supposed to do. You know, like maybe we weren't supposed to do the nine to five thing. You know, we weren't born for that. We were born for something fucking different, a greater purpose, you know, programmed, programmed a different way. Eh? Exactly, man. Exactly. And, you know, and, you know, you know, like our folks, like people of our parents' generation, maybe that post-World War Two generation, you know, like they, they, you know, they grew up, man, like that. Like that's what it was, you know, it's, you know, for a lot of them anyway, you know, not all, I can't speak for everyone or everyone's circumstances or situations, but yeah, like I know that within my family, you know, that's, that's what it was. And a lot of the people that I've sort of, you know, I've been friends with over the years, it's, it's that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, that's all by the by, you know, but fuck, what were we talking about? Like going through the record, dude, ADI. Going through the record and you're talking about the diversity of tracks. Yeah, man. Like there's just. You're in courageous. 
And I was just trying to explain just to bring it all back together so the listeners don't know we've gone off the tangent that <laughs> I, I was basically just writing therapy and things for myself. It was pretty it was pretty self-indulgent, but it was something I needed to do as, to grow as a person. And I think that's why you, when you say when you listen to Matty B, you 100% get Matty B, yeah. I think I needed to be myself. Yeah, yeah. To but, get off my chest what I needed to get. Like, it was therapy for me, you know. So thanks, everyone, for being a part of my um, Dr. Phil fucking episode. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice of you guys, the Australian hip-hop listeners, to do that. Yeah, God, this shit just turned into The View somehow. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know. know what the fuck just happened, but yeah. <laughs> but this is what you get, dude. Like, you know, I don't think you could give anyone anything else other than you. It's who you are, bro. It's who you are. When you meet you in the flesh, when you meet you in person, you get you. You get the same dude that you hear on those fucking songs, man. There's not two separate individuals there. It's Maddie, you know. It's Maddie straight down the line. And yeah, I, and, okay. I, and and I say that as the ultimate compliment to you too. Yeah, oh, that's nice that you make a compliment out of it, and um, I, I just think. Like I said, because it was therapy, I needed to be myself. And if you want to get over problems and, and I guess, hurdles and struggles in your life, to fix the problems, you've got to be honest about them to start with. You know what I mean? So that was that was just a great moral. My parents always said is you can't address issues in your life and improve them unless you actually come clean and say there's an issue. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yeah, so, certainly. So, That's they taught me to be honest, mate, and they're the best human beings in the world. So yeah, that that's that's all it is. It's just you know, I just wanted to be honest. Yeah, absolutely, mate, absolutely. And well, this new album, I'm honest. I'm just way angrier and more into battle rapping and just having a go at, at things. I think that have in the world that have just we've gone the wrong way i think with social media and a few things i'm having a good crack at a few things you know yeah bro um but i'll be the first person to market my album on social media so there's a hip it might be some hypocrisy there i just think <laughs> posting on facebook everything you're doing look this is my dinner <laughs> look at me i did this i like me for doing that i just think that's fucking weak yeah you know yeah, what I mean? yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> Sorry, <dude. laughs> yeah and we shouldn't we shouldn't validate our, our esteem by creating, what's the word, like media, mm. social media, like photos and stories so people can tell us, give us a pat on the back. You know what I mean? Like to me that's not a healthy way to validate your what? self-esteem. Yeah, you should be out achieving in sport or in the workplace and contributing to society and just letting that speak for itself and be humble. There's a lot of vanity attached to huge to social to huge. social media and huge and amounts of vanity absolutely absolutely okay let's fucking let's move through the album a bit dude we'll start fucking getting through things like i mean the impact of fridays dude while we're talking about this record i mean it's really it's one of the linchpins of the album i think this is it's a classic album dude start to finish it really just contains so much but i mean fridays the impact it had Bro, let's let's get into it. I mean, even up until the point that um, miles ago, recently put it out in 2019 as part of their, um, you know, their uh, Australian Archive 45 series. You know, so like it's it's one of those pivotal releases, dude. Without fail, you know, it's a cornerstone release, and it's one, of, dude. It was kind of you know Fridays in many regards. If we're talking WA hip hop, it's kind of like the Jimmy Ricard pre Jimmy Ricard in a way. You know, like it's 
You know, that's what it was. It kind of was the Jimmy Ricard of its era. Yeah, it's nowhere near as good as Jimmy Ricard, but well, it's no, it's it's not even remotely, it's not even remotely similar. But in terms of what it yeah. did in knocking down those doors, like Jimmy Ricard came through and knocked down fucking doors. Friday, Fridays did it fucking fifteen years earlier, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's just good that um, it wasn't fifteen years. I can give you the time constraints. Yeah, so, oh, whatever it was, you know what I mean. Ten years. Yeah, I'd love. I, I, yeah, I'd like to be accurate, but Jake, well, I don't true. mean to correct you on your own show in, in no, any way. Means. Go, go, go. Disrespectful, but I just want Paulie to get credit where it's due because Courageous LP came out in two thousand and one, and I think when it was only seven years later when Brothers Grimm blew up, and he, what, by Jimmy, then Jimmy Ricardo was then only seven years. Draft had already written so many amazing rap songs with Dundee L, The Pale Rider, and a few other of his releases. Yeah. I, yeah. I'll look I up. don't feel like I opened the door that much, you know? No, no, no. I mean, you, you won't, you're a humble dude, bro. You're not going to fucking take that credit. But, you know, I'm just giving you that credit, man. Like, it's, oh, yeah, you're right. Fuck, it was, too. It was a while back. 2008. No shit. Jesus Christ. I thought, man, I still feel like Jimmy Ricard was, like, fucking six, seven years ago. Nah, draft, he crept up on everyone and whooped their ass. Yeah, that's bugged out. Yeah, no, no, dude, I stand corrected. Thank you. Thank you. It is. It's only fucking a few. Yeah, it's, you're only talking fucking six, seven years following. Um, six, seven years, you yeah, know? Yeah, following. Um, um, in that time, I did very little work in music and partied and surfed and did what I wanted and traveled. Yes. And draft as is still working hard to the day since pale rider he's never stopped working apart from when he had the restaurant for a couple of years mm-hmm. and that was where his focus went but outside the time he had the solomon's cafe or he was he's worked he's always worked at music this is what he does super, man super hard for me he's the he's the guy in wa you know it'd be dope to get sorry to, keep, on you, man. sorry to keep coming back to him but nah, dude know. like bro he's an influence man like that's that you know yeah. that's that's largely what this show's about dude it's about those stories yeah. getting that influence and understanding you better understanding the music better you know like and celebrating it beyond anything else you know that's what we're here to do man like celebrate and, this and- shit well, you, you can't, you can't, you know, ignore what Downside have done too. It's, oh, it's massive, bro, of course. Massive. And when they, when Downside brought out Land of the Land of the Giants, and then the one after that, their live show, they had really good sound equipment. They were getting managed by a guy called Paul Sloan, who'd managed big rock bands. They'd put musicians on the stage, and that. Um, uh, Land of the Giants and the release after it, which I can't, it's off, off the top of my head, I should know it. Um, it's I'll, I'll tell you in a minute anyway. Oh, that one, and, one their live show was the best hip-hop show in Australia you could see. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. downside show was phenomenal, mate. And yeah, I stood dude. there in the crowd in the mosh pit and watched it, and the sound was huge and the raps were amazing and the beats were amazing and it was disaster in his prime yeah. and Dynamite was still with them. And those guys were red hot, and they're still red hot to the day with Benny Bajow, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. They, but back then, mate, that they, they were the best. That was the best live show you could see. Dude, I, I, re- in, 
bro. Yeah. I seen a couple of downside Sunshine shows. Live show was the best show you could see at that time. Yeah, man. Like they followed, they kind of followed lockstep with the resin dogs out of Brisbane in terms of that, you know. And they brought that, they brought that live energy, you know. They brought, they brought hip hop to festivals, you know. We spoke to, we spoke to Optimus about all this shit, man. Like without fail, like one of the hardest touring acts in this country, you know. And this goes back. This once again goes back to the credit to SBX to Syllabolics, you know, coming out of Perth, man. Like coming from the opposite side of the country, you know, and being so remote too. Like, you know, these guys are largely kind of over there by yourselves and doing what you did in that city and then bringing it to the rest of the country. I mean, you have played as as an import as important a role as fucking Melbourne, as Adelaide, like, you know, these cities. I mean, everything developed out of all these cities of its own accord individually, but man, you can't take nothing from what you guys did as individuals under that collective, you know, as part of yeah, that I collective. Just, the body of work and the effort put in by draft and downside yeah. is, is huge. Yeah, it's absolutely and it, and the, the the way syllabolics in the Perth scene is so strong is testament to those guys being the architects and those guys laying the foundation and the brickwork and and the, I just I just can't take credit for it, mate, because I was pretty lazy, Jake. You know, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, just yeah. honest with everyone out there. You know, yeah, 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 dude, dude, yeah, can't yeah, you... take credit for work you didn't do, and that that's why I keep, I'll you know, if you call me an architect or talk about pivotal moments, I'll probably steer the conversation away from myself a bit and back to those two acts. Because it took you know? well, it took those dudes to fucking influence you. But, I mean, dude, listen, at the end of it, when it's all said and done, Friday's had a huge fucking impact that cannot be – that can't be overlooked. It just – and it's not. It's not overlooked. You know, I think everyone can cite that song – in some way i mean you wrote it dude like you know like you wrote a fucking anthem bro you wrote a, one of those songs you know one of those songs that still resonates to this day you know that shit can that that, that shit can still come on fucking on a friday inevitably you know at the end of the working week and make a you know make a cunt feel good you know like it's a fucking it's just one of those joints bro it makes you want to drink piss that song it certainly does right <laughs> Drink piss for sure. Yeah, dude. Was it all like you know that you, you? It's you know it was all, it was all what was happening at that point in time. Going to the twenty first, calling up Hunter, you know, like all that yeah, sort of shit. Exactly how it was, mate. Because I, I didn't it. have a driver's license. I was a hood rat. Yeah. Uh, I remember the song Scrubs by um by TLC about the dude sitting in the passenger ride of his best friend, you know, in the passenger <laughs> side of his best friend's car. I was that dude. I was that. <laughs> I was that lowbrow, living out of home, didn't have a license, didn't have a job. Oi, bro, I don't and, want to. Uh, I don't want to I, cut we you. We were literally. I was literally riding the train around Perth, going to Draft's house, going to um, DJ Army's house, riding the train out <laughs> to Whitford's, and Scotty had picked me up with a with his car. Yeah. Because his parents lived in Whitford's and different train lines, mate. I was, you know. Dude, that's listen. how it was. The way I what I rapped about was how it was. Bro, I didn't get a license until I was 34. I couldn't get one when I was a kid. Like I couldn't get one for a couple of years as a kid. And then fucking I didn't get a license until I was 34. My missus fell pregnant. That's what it took for me to get a license. I did the exact same thing. Dude, shit. I got a license in 2010. <laughs> there you go, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was 2015, I think. Nah, fuck. When was it? Well, when was my daughter born? Must have been 2014. Yeah. 2014. 33, 34. Yeah, I was such like a hood rat. That's yeah. why I got along with you guys and 750 and all that. Yeah, bro. Because we're, we're all just train rats, eh? That's it, dude. That's it, just man. Just cruising around on the trains and 
throwing a tag up here and dropping a freestyle there and oh, getting mate. on the piss and smoking weed and having a good time. Yeah, dude. And we owe and we owe people an infinite amount of lifts in, you know, like in our adult years. You know, like I owe proof yeah. and oath and fucking like man, lazy. Like the fuck dude, even like years ago, lazy's mum would come pick us up, take us to the airport. Shit like that. It's just like, man, you know, like fucking Yeah. Dude. Don't worry, I'm that guy. I, I, I could spend the rest of my life paying back lifts. Me too, bro. <laughs> Straight up. But it's but it's amazing how productive we got too. Like, man, like, you know, like, fucking man, I trek around this city on public transport. I get three buses and a train, you know, two buses and a train to get to places and shit. Like, you know, and then I'd sling oh. a little bit of weed and fucking sell weed to, you know, like, if, you know, if we we're recording somewhere, sell a queue, catch a cab home at 2 a.m., you know, fuck. It was just, yeah. yeah. Dude, I released two rap albums on my own on my own record label and never had a driver's license the whole time. Exactly. Exactly. This is the this is this album I'm making now is the first one where I've been able to drive around and get shit done. Yeah, 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 yeah. Without yeah. asking someone to help me, you know? Yeah, dude. Was it was it out of necessity that you wound up just going to get it? Like being so far from Perth? I just wanted it, mate. I wanted to mate, I'd to I up. saw I saw Fifty Cent get rich or die trying, where he throws the backpack of fucking money in the in the in the Benz at the Benz dealership and says, "Give me the keys." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I want to have my magic moment where I'm driving my nice car out of the yard. There you go, mate. There you I go. I mean, the window shopper and all that. I was always, I came, I came, I left home at fifteen, mate. I had nothing for a long time, Jake. You know that's what it. I mean? That's it, dude. That's it. That's, so, a, yeah, that's aspiration. I, I want to get a license. And I was a surfer. I wanted to be able to get to all the good waves as well. So mm. it, mm. my life started and I got the job on the mines and the mines helped me get the license. And here's the coolest thing. I got to, you know, you sit the license in the city, the traffic's hectic, you're nervous as hell. Yeah. I got to do it in a one-horse town where there was a mine site. Mm, mm, mm. There were no track. I did my driver's license test in a town where there was no traffic lights. Yeah, fair dinkum, fucking hell. And what was it, a cop sitting in the back seat or sitting beside you? Was it a cop instead of no, like a testing? it was a licensing dude that came from a bigger from a bigger town not uh, far away. Yeah. I was in Boddington. He came from the town of Collie and he was like a dude with a shaved head and a beard. He looked like he was in the 750 Rebels. Yeah, yeah, Remember yeah. you guys all had shaved, hair, shaved yeah. heads and long beards? Yeah, dude. <laughs> There was a ZZ period top. there where that, <laughs> the seven, that was the 750 Rebels uniform. Yeah, bro. You guys looked more like bikers than, yeah, than rappers sometimes. Covered in tattoos, that was your tattoos, shaved heads, and fucking goaties, bro. And goaties, like big goaties. Well, this dude, he could have easily done production on any of your tracks mm. or just hung tough at one of the photo shoots and would have fitted in yeah. the way it looked. And he was cool. And I said to him, look, I'd already set – Set it. I tried to sit the test twice in in the city and failed mm. because I was so nervous. And I said, "Look, man, I'm a, I'm a wordsmith. I like to talk about things." I said, "So can I verbalise every manoeuvre I do in this car from the start we leave to when we get back?" He goes, "If that helps you remember, do it." So I was rapping the whole test, and I'm just going to indicate here, checking the blind spot mirrors, yeah. and I was putting on a bit of a, you know. Um, Thank you for flying Qantas voice, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Kind of making him laugh a bit and I wrapped my whole driver's test and passed it. And I, I'll man. tell you, man, I had a quarter of a Valium because I just couldn't do it without it. I was so nervous and anxious because I'd been a hood rat for so long and wanted to have my own wheels. Yeah. And I, 
you've probably heard me rap about my Arnie Shirley. I think I mentioned her in the track. Arnie Shirls gave me a quarter of a vowel, mate. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I was working on the mines. So it was a roll of the dice. If they drug tested me the True. day after my driver's license, I would have lost my mine site job. Yeah. Would have been fired, but I would have had my driver's license. <laughs> and it was it was it was a gamble I was willing to take. Yeah. You know yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Arnie Shirley gave me the quarter of the vowel and I I wrapped my whole driving test and it worked. I passed. I'm still driving now. Fucking beautiful. So there's some man. really funny Matty B trivia. And I'm sorry we've drifted off on tangents. Nah, fuck that. It's all good. It's all good. Had you had you driven though? Like or had you just had you never driven? Had no, you driven, driven in your younger years? Like driven cars and shit? Yeah, to get yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But only in doing naughty stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Like I, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't get a license for a while because I drove without a license, you know. So like I had my, you know. Yeah, I played that game and got yeah. busted for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I lost it for like fucking eighteen months or something, and then by the time I could get it again, when I was in like my early twenties, I was fucking used to catching public transport, and I'd be drinking that much piss all the time. Anyway, it was like fuck. Why get a license? I'd fucking just lose it. I'd wind up wrapping myself around a pole, you know. Like it would have been fucking. Ridiculous. Retarded. But like even still, like, you know, as the years went on, I would drive. Like when I fucking sat my driver's test at fucking, yeah, 33, 34, whenever I whenever it was, man, it was pissing down rain. Like, and I remember, but like I wasn't nervous because I'd kind of driven a lot. Like I'd just, you know, like fucking I'd drive my missus car somewhere, or you know, if someone had to do something, you know, every so often I'd jump behind the wheel regardless, you know. But yeah, yeah. But fuck, dude, licenses aside, licenses aside, you know, the the, the about not having a license is you want to live in Melbourne if you don't have a license. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once, dude, once you get it, you don't know how you live without it. Like, man, once I had it, I was just like, fuck, what was I doing all this time? Like, quite seriously, man. Like, I was just like, fuck. But I enjoyed public transport too, man. Like, I'd just, you know, you'd fucking sip a quiet beer in the back seat, or, you know, like you put your music on. I found a lot of inspiration traveling on public transport, you know, like it was kind of. Yeah, I wrote songs on trains, on yeah. buses for sure. Yeah, I'd get, a, I'd get a lot from it, you know, like just the people you'd interact with and, you know, it was fucking, man, each trip was an adventure in a way, you know, particularly if you were going out to make music and stuff like that. Like that was always, you know, that was always part of the adventure for me, you know, just trekking from one side of town to the other, going through town. Like I was just, I loved that shit. But anyway, back back to, you know, back to this shit, dude. I mean, the, the reaction to the Courageous LP, how many copies did you, did, do, you do you recall? Like what, did you do a thousand at the time? <laughs> I don't know. Don't know. Did the vinyl come? Did the vinyl drop at the same time, or did the vinyl come out slightly after? Came a bit slightly after. Yeah, yeah. And it yeah. wasn't a full album. It was just a selection of tracks. That's right. It doesn't have courageous on it for one, does it? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't. I haven't. I I haven't. My my copy. Mm is in storage and I haven't seen it for 20 years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, f like I've been looking at it. First, when it comes to my music, I was getting you to tell me what track I was talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what we're here for, bro. That's what we're here for. Listen, man, I'm saying with my music, dude, if I, once it's fucking, once it's out there, it's just put aside and as long as I got one copy, I'm good, you know, like I just fucking put it aside. I'm not going back to it. I'm not playing it, you know. If you ever got to learn it for a show or something like that, but man, I'm not doing shows anymore either, so it's not, it doesn't come out. It doesn't get played, but you know, yeah. I just ask. Yeah, I know. I know. Um, I know the with the courageous LP with the vinyl. I know courageous isn't on that, and I wondered. I actually wondered was that because courageous was on Culture Kings? You know, being that you took the title track or the album's title, 
you know, you took the title track kind of off the LP version. Yeah, I don't know. Don't I, I would love to have the vinyl in front of me. Are you 100% sure Courageous isn't on it? I'm pretty fucking sure, yeah, yeah. I'd like to get that verified. Mm, mm. But I don't know who would do that. I don't have a copy in front of me. I can get my hands on a copy, though. I don't personally have a copy. My mate, my but, mate um, who I was telling you about before, he's got two copies of it. I think just um, Daz was really good with with the vinyl. I, I had a lot of faith in Disaster, and he was such a good producer and had such a good music for ear, ear for music. Sorry, I think he 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 suggested. Look, these are the tracks that will suit vinyl the best, and yeah. I think that's the way we went with it. Yeah, yeah. According to Discogs, dude. According to Discogs, it's uh, starts with the intro, intro ADI Friday. Courageous. Oh, no, that's the CD. Sorry. But, yeah, you don't always know with this. Well, Discogs is pretty fucking pretty much to the point, man. They get it, you know, they generally get it right. Yeah, I thought Courageous wasn't on the LP. It's on, on the, the vinyl, you mean, not on the vinyl. Yeah, not on the vinyl. On the CD. For, for yeah, that's reason. quite possible. That's yeah. quite possible. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I just wondered why that was, you know, like who made that decision and was that made because Courageous, you know, Courageous do pre-Fridays, that was getting a little bit of love on Triple J too, you know, like because I remember I was doing my trade through those years and we'd have the radio on all day and, you know, I remember when we yeah. first started hearing those songs, you know, even Courageous, you know, like that was fucking, you know, that's a great song too, dude, just revisiting it again, man. It's been years since I listened to it and I was just, man, it took me back immediately, hey, I was just like, man, WA Anthem's written for pages and pages, Matty B, always my microphone courageous you know like it was just boom you know it's a classic a classic first song i ever wrote yeah unbelievable um, eh? i think i remember what went down with the vinyl now and i think you touched on it and you hit, hit the nail on the head is that because it was already on culture of kings one and culture of kings one was on a vinyl yeah i just and i couldn't fit all of it on a vinyl i think i just wanted to give people songs on vinyl that they didn't have yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, it was. It might have been because I'm such a practical mind. I'm pretty sure it could have been that simple. You yes. know that I just was like, well, they've already got courageous on vinyl. I'll give them some of the other tunes. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and definitely. I'm pretty sure that was it. Yeah. Now when I think about, it. but Daz would have said to me, these are the ones which are, are the best for vinyl, and then I would got them mastered particularly for vinyl. Yeah, definitely. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I kind of figured that. But just while we're while we're on it, and we'll you know we'll move through things. But you get two great guest appearances too. I mean, you get three great guest appearances. But I love Daz's guest appearance, man. On Have a Beer with Daz, and obviously the joint with Hunter, man. Like you know, and Shouts Optimus, who's on here as well. Like you know, you get some fucking, you got some great guest appearances off the year. I mean, the joint with Daz, dude. Do you remember the studio session? Like, do you remember making that joint with him? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was at his parents' house. Yeah. I can't remember, you know, what we ate for lunch that day or anything. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I can't remember it blow for blow, but I can de I definitely remember it was probably well, – you'd go to Daz's house. His parents were awesome. He's Burmese, as everybody knows. And, mate, everyone's just sitting around in their pyjamas eating chicken curry, and it was just a real good scene, you know. Yeah. And we'd yeah. go into Daz's – bedroom and um and uh he'd have the studio set up and he'd be in his boxer shorts and as it just recorded you'd have a t-shirt and boxer shorts on yeah like everyone was staying home that day and chilling it was mm. really it was a really nice environment and same with fridays 
same. The recording sessions at Darren's parents' house were really, really good. His family is such nice people, and it was such a casual vibe. He didn't feel nervous, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, going up to Rockefeller Studios and Jay-Z's there and there's two heavy bodyguards or something. It was the complete opposite. Yeah, right? Exactly, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. the family sitting around in their jammies watching telly, having a feed while we're recording music. It was really cool. Yeah. Really cool. And Daz, Daz, like, you know, like, I don't know him that well personally, met him over the years and shit, but he seems like just the eternal creative man, you know, like to me, to me, I feel like Daz is like Australia's Q-tip in a way, you know, like he's just this, this guy, I don't know, there's, man, there's an energy he's about He's the Yoda Daz. of syllabolics. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a Yoda and I've always likened him as the Dalai Lama of Australian hip-hop. Mm. You'll never hear Daz say a bad word about another no, he's a proper Buddhist. He's a really beautiful soul. Yeah. And, mate, he's an animal on the mic and he's an animal producer and he can play instruments. And for me, he's the Dr. Dre of Australia. Yeah, you know, yeah, he's yeah, from yeah. the West yeah. Coast. He's our Dre, you know? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's yeah, it's a good analogy. That's kind of parallel him too because, yep. you know, Coast Hip Hop in America, Dr. Dre's the producer. West Coast Hip Hop here is disaster. Yeah, and Dr. Dre was unique with it as Daz was, you know, and like, fuck, man, even just, even like a few months ago on social media, man, he, he has his son and he'd fucking, he'd looped up the Thomas the Tank Engine theme song and put some fucking thumping, banging drums behind it. And it was just, dude, it was just so dope, man. It was like, holy. Yeah, transformed it into a banger. Oh, into a banger, bro. Like, I, I, man, I, I had it sent to me and then I saw it and I'm just like, fuck, bro, I must have watched that shit fucking. 10 times, I reckon, you know, I'd just go back to it and go, boom, like put my headphones on and just, man, I catch a vibe off this joint, off the Thomas the Tank Engine theme, you know, like it was fucking, the it was some shit. A, the guy's a genius, mate. He's an oh, absolute dude, it. But Optimus is right there with him. He's a genius. Yeah, 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 yeah. Genius musician and Draft's a genius musician. Mm. There's three geniuses, you know, from, yeah. from our group. Nah, but even like even fucking even the joint with Hunter, you know, like that's a fucking that's another great joint. Respect, and as I stated from the outset, raw cause, bro. Like raw cause is a fucking just one of those hard bangers, dude. It's it's dope. It's dope, and the beat to me, the beat would not would not sound out of place on Goodfellas, you know. Like if those if those drums were just that little bit harder, but you know they're drums of the era, man. Like that's what it was, you know. That's no fucking that's it's to no detriment yeah. of the track. It's a fucking banger. It's a yeah, great but, song. but getting back to it, like mate. Making beer with Dazza was awesome, and it was that family environment at his yep. at his parents' house out in Belmont that we made that track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it was always a really nice place to go and record. You yeah, know? Yeah. Did you did you sp did you spend much much time in the studio with Hunter? Did you have many other uh, joints together? Yeah, other than respect? bits and pieces, yep. bits and pieces. But like, it was kind of like if if you were an MC on the Syllabolics roster, and and you're in the studio with Daz or Scotty, you kind of wanted him all to yourself, you know. Mm. There's, and it's not like it, there was never any rivalry or nothing like that. But if we were doing a posse track, for sure, I've recorded with Hunter. I think I'm on a track with Hunter and Bias B. And if you dig around, there's a few songs. Yeah. Judge and Jury, I'm on with Hunter. Yeah. See, I've had lots of time in the – when we're doing posse tracks, definitely had great times 
in the studio with Hunter. Yeah. For sure. Really yeah. great times. But when you're doing your own stuff, it's just you and the producer in the zone, I guess. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Until you <laughs> until you bring that person in that you want to collaborate with, if you want to collaborate yeah. with someone, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So fucking courageous comes out. Did you did you wind up doing shows and shit off the back of that? Like the, the I mean the reception, you know, like it fucking man, everyone was listening to it. It was a great record. Yeah, there's a few shows going on for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I it, did a little tour. I did a courageous album launch at Revolver in Melbourne. Ah. And this is what I want to say about Hunter is on that first I think I did Adelaide and Melbourne and yeah. that was it. At the time, I did, didn't do a huge show. I did two spots over east. Yep. And I think the mentality was to do Adelaide and Melbourne because I'd been there with Culture of Kings One and mm. I knew people there and it was, and I felt comfortable going there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. It may or may not have been a Brisbane show. You could tell me whether there was or not. No, I don't recall there being I, a Brisbane I, show for getting to the point. I took Hunter with me. Yeah, the guy who was my hype man, and it was the funnest rap shows I've ever done with Hunter. And we did half my songs and half his songs, even though it was my album launch. But we'd finished with Fridays, of course, as yeah. the whatever you call it, the end bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, and it was awesome, mate. And I that time with Hunter, I cherish so much. I said. I said, Hunter, I'm bringing out the, my first record and I want you to come with me and be my hype man. And I said, I don't want you to open up for me and then I do a set. I said, I want us to make up this amazing set of your music and my music. And um, it was it was obviously more my music because we are touring for my record, but it was so fun because I'd get a break from being the main guy to being the hype man and doing the punches for his songs. Yeah, yeah. And I love that bouncing off someone else on stage. And I've never really rapped. Like Clannistine, Graphic and Tomahawk and Mortar were always bouncing off each other as MCs, whereas most of the time I just hold it down up there on my own Yeah. and either Scotty or, or MJ later did a lot with me, would do my punches, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the, doing it with this, this live set we had for the Courageous Australian Tour, which was only two dates, two <laughs> plays, two stops. Can't call it a tour, but the, I guess you call it the East Coast Run. Yeah. Was with Hunter and it was bloody awesome. Yeah. And I, it was just so much fun and we worked so well together on stage. And I always dreamed that me and Hunter would have our own – he'd have his solo stuff, I'd all have my solo stuff – but we'd do this thing together, but it never really happened. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love being on stage with Hunts, mate. It was wicked. Yeah, bro. Yeah. That yeah. Too, that uh, revolver and the one we did it in Adelaide was phenomenal. Just the set. I love doing his songs and my songs. That's it. He did the doll song and he did a few really good ones. And I and it was so fun. Yeah. It was bro. amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, you hear the passion in it, dude. You hear the passion in it. It's fucking sick. So, at what point? At what point, following the courageous, do you um, do you move to Brisbane? Because there's still a few years there. Isn't so there? exactly, I moved to Brisbane, not to Brisbane to Cool and Gatta, yeah, to, yeah, yeah, to the coast. Yeah, um, I moved there in 2002, which was the year oh. straight after the courageous LP came out. 
Now, explain, it was a really good strategic move for me because obviously Perth's the most isolated city in Australia yeah. and we're that far from everyone where else. And as soon as I moved to the Gold Coast and let promoters know on the East Coast that I was on the Eastern Seaboard, it made – because hip-hop was just starting out then and promoters who put on hip-hop shows didn't have a huge budget. Yeah. And yeah. being able to fly me from the Gold Coast or Brisbane – was way easier than flying and cheaper, more cost-effective than flying me from Perth. 100%. So then I started to do shows in places like Cronulla, Sydney. I think I went to Canberra and went snowboarding up at Perisher, and it was was pretty amazing. That was an amazing time of my life because I lived at Coolangatta. Those are mate, they'd pumped all that sand. The waves were incredible. I think I surfed flawless snapper rocks one day, then f- got on a plane. Flew to Canberra, got off the plane, went to sound check, went back, did a rehearsal, did the show, went to sleep, woke up, got on a bus, went up to Mount Perisher and went snowboarding. So I surfed perfect snapper one day, rocked a show that same night in Canberra and then um, went snowboarding the following morning in, 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 in Perisher. And then I think I flew home. The morning after Perisher and my mate Moose, who's still my best mate and makes all my surfboards, who I was living with on the Gold Coast, he picked me up and said, the waves are pumping. And we went back to home and I ran straight down and surfed pumping waves again. So I think it was surf, <laughs> surf, rap, snowboard, surf, world-class waves and world-class snowboarding. It's and fucking I was, nuts. Like, See, this living on the East Coast is pretty fucking good. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> Sounds it. <laughs> and smoke weed the whole way, you know? Yeah, can yeah, yeah. <laughs> and live the life. <laughs> so what stage do you, like, you take a few years there. What's, um, so Courageous, what, 01, 02? Well, it's, it's still up for debate. We don't even really know. Maddie's saying 01. Discogs calls it 02. If anyone has an exact date, let's try and fucking hunt that down. But, um, you know, you start working on Simple But Effective and then you're working with DJ Decide here in Brisbane. That's when we started seeing a lot of you. You know, you'd be travelling to Brisbane. But that doesn't drop until 2006. Can you tell us about the sort of process in between the Courageous and whatever? You're doing a bunch of shows. You know, you're sort of still inspired, still inspired to make music. Yeah, I was doing some shows. I did a really good show in Byron Bay. And I did a couple of Gold Coast shows, local ones, with all my friends. Yeah. But I was, um, I was in the club slanging in Coolangatta. Yeah. I had that on lock for a bit, and um, I was partying really hard, Jake. And I was awake from Friday night till about Monday or Tuesday morning for yeah. a long time. Yeah. Going really hard and not focusing on music, and then I realised that all this time had lapsed that I'd just been surfing and partying and that I hadn't done another album. And then when I did Simple But Effective, it was pretty slipshod. That said, there was some great lyrics on there and there's still some verses and some, some flows I really like on there. Yeah. But it was pre- for me it was pretty crappy yeah. because I just was to all the best rappers and all these successful people, they're not on hard partying drugs, you know what I mean? That's, yeah, yeah. You don't hear people going, gee, oh, Jono's doing real good now. He's on hard drugs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You don't hear people saying that. So <laughs> I was partying flat out and some of my mates were house DJs and I hate house music and I used to give them shit for it. Mm. 
But I was going to raves and parties and awake all night. But I was making, I was slanging, I was, I was supplying the parties. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, and making making bank from from hanging around nightclubs and you know what I mean? And Danny Cooley. So that's what was going on. Yeah, and, um, yeah, yeah. Fuck, it was a pretty yeah, hectic. It was a pretty hectic scene down in Cool and Gatter back around then too, wasn't it? We were going hard, mate. We yeah. were. Going, I lived in. Yeah, we were partying really hard, really hard. I used to fucking. I used to know this bloke. He played um, drums in a covers band, and they'd play at Cooley probably once a month at the Cool and Gatter Hotel. They had like a. I think like they had a. Yeah, monthly residency or something like that. And um, I think they do like Thursday nights. And he goes, man, fucking the minute that joint shuts, they're packing the van and they're getting the fuck out of there. Like he's like, mate, that that fucking that 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 coastal town, as beautiful it is during the day, it would turn into a bloodbath. You know, after midnight, man. Oh, it used to pop off for sure. Yeah. Because what was it like? The cops fucking, the cops couldn't come, like there was cops in Tweed Heads and the next closest cop shop was Kiro or Burley or something like that? I think Palm Beach or, or Crumbin or, okay. yeah, the next, there was a cop shop. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of cops around. No, nah, that's a lot it. Of, there's a lot of good times going on, a lot of partying, yeah. a lot of slanging and a lot of surfing perfect waves and, and but yeah, it was it was a pretty amazing time. Pretty hectic time, but that led to but you know that hectic time leads to simple but effective. And you weren't happy with it. You weren't happy with the the final result. Nah, nah it was all rushed and the beats were wrong. And yeah, it was a bit of a balls up. But I'm still grateful for the boys for helping me get it out. Yeah, but it was you know I put no effort in. You know, but you did. I mean, you made you made the effort. You'd travel to Brisbane, dude, to do it. Yeah, you know, like. I did. I did do the recording process, and Decide was awesome. He welcomed me in my home, yeah. and he picked me up from the train station because I was a train dog. You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, of course. I was a train rat. Yeah. So, yeah, I did get it done, and I did put some effort in. But like, I would write the song, and and then have fun all week, mm. and not even look at the song. And then I would go to, um, I would go to the studio and take eight hours to do one or two songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Nowadays, I'll tell you my process now is I write it at home, and then I keep writing. And I used to write on paper. Now I'm obviously using notes in my iPhone with the beats playing, mm. and I write it and I flow it, and then I edit it, and then I flow it, and then I edit it, and then I. Practice it and practice it and practice it, and then I keep changing until it's perfect, and then I rehearse the absolute balls off of it. Yeah, and then I drive from Margaret River to Perth. I walk into Optimus's um, studio. We do three hours of recording, and then we go out to lunch. And I've got a new track, sometimes two. Yeah. So that's the the process. Is I'm doing all the all the work at home, all the rehearsing and all the practicing and and just cutting and pasting it. I couldn't be bothered rewriting it out, so I'd leave it out of pure laziness, you know. So it's yeah. a combination of technology, being meticulous, and me becoming a surf coach's job. You learn about progression curve and putting things into drills and repetition and changing things up to create a point of difference and variety. So it was my high performance surf coaching. That I wanted to apply these principles to my music and the mm. same work ethic and thoroughness, and that's what I'm trying to do on this record. And I hope that it shows. You know what I mean? If it doesn't, well, 
I'll, I'll be very surprised, but I've put a lot of effort in, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. How long you been? How long you been sober for? Um, or you know, off, off, you know, off shit. You know, you're not so much. Yeah, sober. yeah, for a long time, for a yeah, long it's been time. A while. Been a while now. You know, over a decade. No, oh, that's good, dude. That's fantastic, bro. My job, I swim in flippers for six hours a day. Sometimes my job's really healthy, and I'm right into good food and I, I work with a naturopath and um and yeah I've just really try to become more healthy and less involved with the use of substances every year of my life. My goal is to, to grow old gracefully and grow old health grow old healthily, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude. In don't get don't don't get older, bro, get better, you know? Yeah, just to keep improving and keep progressing yeah. with my personal growth as a human being and, and mm. with my music and with me becoming a better coach and more patient and learning better ways yeah. to coach people in the water. You know, it's, it's my craft now. So surf coaching has become a craft the last six years and then in the last six months, hip-hop has become – I'm trying to make that my craft again, you know. Dude, it's amazing. It's amazing you're back into it, dude. When can we, like, when can we expect this record, bro? How far off is it? I reckon realistically, just around before Christmas this year, it should come out. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't need, yeah. I'm not even that aware of the admin process with Spotify and all that. I'd like to. What I'm going to try to do is re-release the Courageous LP and Simple but Effective and the new stuff all on Spotify, Apple Music, and iTunes. Yep, yep. And then. Redo some discs on not simple but effective, but just the classic courageous, and then do some CDs for the new one and some vinyls for the new one. And the thing I really want to get into is film clips and having a YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah, and I've written a song about cryptocurrency, which I've been into trading. Yeah. And it's pretty funny. And anyone who's pulled their hair out trying to trade crypto and make money. We'll have a laugh, and it's um. <laughs> I know a few people into it, man. <laughs> the song's called "Crypto Crazy," and it's. I think it's the funniest song. I think I'm a bit of a serious rapper, and a bit aggressive on this new album for for the most part. Mm. But there is a, there's some moments of humour, and I think cryptocurrency, and it's featuring Vice B. He made the beat, and he raps a verse on it. Sick. It's a three verse song. I do two verses, and he does one. Yeah. Um, and it, which is kind of an old way of doing things, but it, it's a really funny song. And I think cryptocurrency is something that's really current. So I, I really can't wait to see how people like the song. It's called Crypto Crazy. Yeah. And about yeah. all the highs and lows you go through trading, you know? Yeah. So you're doing, you're, you're right into it, eh? Mm. I've just long term held it. I got in early and held it for ages. And then I just skimmed some profits, about 20 grand profit this last year. Yeah. And I'm actually talking about how I'm, I'm stressed out about the tax man and what will I say to the tax man in July. And yeah. It's a pretty funny song. You'll have a giggle. Bro, it's exciting, man. It's fucking exciting to hear new music, man. So you're going to look at re what, thinking about repressing Courageous or just getting it out there digitally? Getting it out there digitally and – Maybe doing a run of vinyl records. Yeah, dude. That'd be a great idea, man. And with the new one, doing vinyl and CD, I don't know if hip-hop heads collect CDs, mm. but I wouldn't even mind just doing the CDs 
and if, if people buy them, they buy them. We sell them as merch at shows. But um, I wouldn't even mind just the CDs, just flicking them around to friends and family and people in the industry as 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 a gift, yeah, as man. a quirk. Quirky gifts to give everybody, you know. Yeah, 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 and it, and it puts you back out there too. Like you know, it, it uh, reminds. Yeah, just, it, I'm being cool about it, man. I'm not in this to get mate money. I'm doing this purely for creativity's sake. Yes. Yeah. This time around, I'm doing this to be creative and to be progressive in my life, and try and be proactive and and be back in music. And I'm and um, I, I'm doing this for the right reasons this time. I'm not doing it because I need the money or I'm trying to get fame or or anything. You know, I'm. I'm already happy. I've got this amazing life where I live on a farm. I work at the beach. There's no Babylon system. There's no hustle and bustle. But other people are still living through all that bullshit in the cities and that. Mm. And so I'm writing music, you know, that I think is, is genuine, the genuine article. And um, I'm doing it purely to be creative, Jake. And if yeah. people buy it and they like it, that's another whole thing. But between crypto and surf coaching, and I'm living a great lifestyle. I don't definitely not in music for the money this time, and I think that takes a lot of pressure away. You know what I mean? Because yeah. you're not being creative, hoping, oh, I need to be successful as a musician or my life. It's not an eggs in one basket thing like it was in the old days. You know yeah, what I mean? Dude, yeah, 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 yeah. Before absolutely. I was putting no effort in and wanting everything from it, and now I'm putting lots of efforting effort in. But expecting nothing from it, and that's the best way to, to explain my mindset and what's driving me to make the music. Well, you, you see, you're, you're approaching music as an adult now too, you know. So, yeah, lot, like, definitely a lot more maturity. Yeah, dude, hundred percent. And you can hear it in the approach, in like just in the thinking behind it, man. That's exactly it. Did you like? I mean, in terms of sorry, sorry, bro, I didn't mean to cut in, but I want to quickly say this before the the meaning. Yeah, before please. it leaves my head because my short-term memory loss is terrible and that's yeah. the, not just being creative but reconnecting with Draft, with Optimus, with Bias B and, and them coming in to help and like helping me with the project and hanging out with the boys and just hanging with Op every Wednesday is, is record day, recording recording day yeah. and um, just going and hanging with Scotty and being with him and then going out for lunch and having a laugh like old times. It's the connections you make with human beings and being creative and having an outlet. That, that It's fun already, even if you never even sold one copy, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. so much fun. And I hope the film clip-making process will be fun too and I get to hang with the boys and, you know, I want to put a bit of piss. If I get people to come to the film clip, I want to put a bit of cold piss on, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And shout weed, and shout weed for the boys because I remember watching old, old movies um, watching documentaries on back and Dre and that making making film clips. Yeah, and everyone was drinking and smoking and having a good time. And I want to create. If I do film clips, man, I want to create that vibe. You know, yeah, dude. Yeah, Hennessy and blunts, bro. <laughs> Put a few cartons on. You know, mm, mm, mm. exactly, exactly. Ah, oh, dude, it's fucking. I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm just thinking, fucking, what haven't we covered? I don't know. I'm just trying to bloody um go through a few things i mean i think we pretty much covered fucking most things man like dude you've you've done yeah, it dude. we talked about courageous lp and and we talked minimally about simple but effective which i'm happy about because for me it wasn't a, a big effort everyone else just and don't get me wrong optimus disaster and, and decide gav dce did a great job 
but just my efforts weren't, weren't, weren't great, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who produced it? Who produced Simple But Effective? I think Disaster and Optimus had a lot a lot of the beats on there, yeah, mainly the Disaster. Yeah. What happened with Simple But Effective is the beats I wrote it to were made by Draft. Okay. And his computer crashed. Remember back in the day when we didn't back stuff up and yeah. hold com- hard drives on old school PCs would crash and we'd lose everything? Yeah, I don't right. know if you've experienced that phenomenon. Fucking but A, we did. Yeah. That absolutely. was kind of a fucking thing back in the day, you know? Mm-hmm. Dude, Gav fried his computer recording that 750-12 that we put out back in, what, back to fuck 2007. We recorded on one of those stinking hot fucking summer days. And I remember, man, Gav fried his fucking computer and couldn't get. We lost everything, you know. I think everyone that's made music over a period of time has that story, man. You know, like you just fucking, <coughs> it's what it is. You know, you lose shit at points. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's how it was back then. Now you back everything up on the cloud and on your external hard drive and on the USB. You kind of back it up in three locations and there's Dropbox and there's. Oh, yeah. The technology's changed so much since I was making music. Bro, see, that's what I was, That's the next thing I was going to say, dude. Like, even releasing music, you're releasing music into a far different world, into a far different market too, you know? Like, it's... This new album is going to be called Matty B, The Black Swan Chronicle, and uh, obviously The Black Swan being the emblem of, of the Syllabolics crew. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I want to sit down with some people and find out the best way to release the music. Do I do a few film clips first? How do I sequence everything? So I'm really interested not only in being meticulous in the way I make the music and the product itself, but how it's sold and how it's marketed and how it's released digitally. I really want back in on this industry and I want to learn about it front to back. And this time I am clear-headed and I am clean and I am... I'm ready to go and I want to work the same way I've put into surf coaching, the same principles of work ethic, repetition, doing drills, um, doing things the right way. I'm really, it's just going to be an interesting journey. Um, and, and now I'm a lot more mellow and I ride setbacks a lot easier. Or if I have to jump through more hoops because I've been to the mines, I've traveled the world on my own and all those sort of things make you grow. You've got to tr- tr- you got to you got to jump through a lot of hoops to go right around the globe on yeah. your own. I travelled the whole world solo, mm. oh, and and the same to get a job in the mines. You got to jump through a lot of hoops. So in the old days, I didn't want to move for nobody. You know what I mean? I only wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I'm prepared to go go through the motions in terms of the way music's released. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I sort of see myself being more. I'm hoping to have more of an online persona. Um, I think I don't think this album will be a Triple J. I don't really hear the word cunt on Triple J too often, so <laughs> I don't I don't see it being a Triple J record or anything like that. Yeah, I want to yeah. get down to how we do hip hop now, and I, I don't even really know yet. At the moment, I'm just focusing on the music. But in about by the end of June, then I'll go into sort of all right. How do we go about this? How do we get this out to people? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm just enjoying the enjoying the journey you know and i dude i suppose you're surrounded by people that have continued to do it and have grown into the digital age i mean draft you know like i mean fuck honestly like so yeah i'm really blessed yeah dude you've got some great guides around you in terms of how that music can you know can reach listeners 
Yeah, Draft made a really good um, suggestion with the Crypto Crazy song. He said that it would be a good song to have something on, on TikTok. And I, you know, ah. I don't even know a lot about TikTok. Jesus, but yeah. he said that's the sort of song. His words were, this is the sort of song that has the potential to go viral on TikTok, mm-hmm. whatever that. So I'm prepared to do whatever. Just yeah. so people can hear the music, you know what I mean? Yes, I'll get you Just out be there, good yeah. if people heard it, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. The money shit I don't care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, listen, you fucking you collate all this video, put it all into a YouTube channel and shit. Like I said, man, going through your videos, listen, if you were to fucking probably add up all the views you've had in terms of, you know, like between Fridays and, you know, just fucking all these songs, man. I think Fridays itself has had half a million views on YouTube. Fucking, dude, the craziest. Yeah, I don't even get my APRA. I don't even know where my APRA goes. I changed banks about three years ago. They used to give me like $25 a year or something. I just thought the whole thing was a joke. You know what I mean? So I've got a pretty heavy administrative paper trail to tie this all together. You know what I mean? And bring it all back in and rein it all back in. And I just think it would be nice to learn that again. And I hope that after I've done this record that I keep staying inspired and keep writing raps, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely And keep bringing them out because it would be good. I've had so much fun, like I said. It's so good to be creative and have an outlet and it's been so awesome to make the connections and that's why you and me are chatting right now. You're an old friend from Brisbane and just reconnecting with all the boys and and all the people involved is awesome. Yeah, absolutely, dude. Absolutely. And, like, fuck, man, I, listen, I, t- I took much the same. Like, I've always had a fairly haphazard approach to all my music. Like, APRA, dude, like, I'm the same, dude. Like, fuck, you know, I think the last APRA payment I got was $2 or something like that. You know, you get them once every six months or whatever the fuck, you know. But, like, it does at this point, these this is these songs, this music is our creation. It's your creation. You know, you own it, man. You're, you own a percentage of it. You know, and it's it's something you can hang your like if I yeah. bring out another record and executive produce it, which I am, and fund the whole thing and bring it out on B style entertainment, mm. no one can take that away from me. That's something I Absolutely. could hang my hat on. That's exactly and it. And nobody owned me, you know, I didn't sign nothing, I didn't become anybody's bitch. You know what yeah. I mean? I just brought this out and did it for the right reasons because I wanted to be creative and I wanted to share and I did it off my own back. Yeah. And, mate, that's an achievement in life, you know what I mean? That's something right, you can hang your hat on and be proud of, especially if you've put a lot more effort in than I used to in the past. So that's I'm just hoping to, to bring out a product that, that I, I really feel like I, I made it a decent effort and hopefully I can progress. And when I do another one after Black Swan Chronicle, hopefully I work harder again and then harder again and harder again, just like getting healthier every year. It's the same thing. I just want my life to be progressive. Bro. Jake, you know yeah, what I mean? Man. You're not getting older, brother. You're getting better, bro. That's what that's what it is. That's that motto, man. Like, and that's dude, that's fucking maybe that's where we should leave it, bro. You know, like you got anything well, else you want to you want to leave us with, Matty? No, nah, just um yeah, this coming summer, look out for it. Mm. Guys, mm. if you you know, if if you come across it and you have a listen, I hope it brings you some joy. It's brought me a lot of joy making music with my friends again and I 
I hope the listeners get some joy out of it if, if, if they get a chance to listen to it. That would be great. Uh, dude, you've given us fucking – listen, man, not to piss in your pocket, but you've given us years of fucking joy, man, years of fantastic music, dude, truly. You know, even if it's gone years between fucking music, you know, between joints, between songs, between, you know, like fucking anything, but even just this, man, even just sitting down hearing your story, dude, it's, you know, it's great, man. It's just great and it's just – you know, it's, it's just dope to me, dude. I, f- I fuck with this shit. You know, that's why I fuck with it. <laughs> it's incredible, bro. Can't thank you enough yeah. for your time, Matty. Yeah, I just wanted to give a, a big shout out to everyone, Syllabolics crew and the Psych Ward, Ward crew, whole Perth scene. And I wanted to give a real special thank you to, to Optimus for walking me through this recording process, as he always has, and being my brother. And I want to really thank Bice B for breathing new life into this project with new beats and Paulie P. Hayes as well for his contribution. So you guys awesome. You've rallied around me and, and D-Raft has listened to the tracks and given me feedback. Everyone's been really, really receptive and I want to just say thanks to the boys for that. That's dope, dude. That's dope. So be SBX on, for life. SBX for life, man. Big shouts to the Syllabolics crew. Legendary, man. Legendary shit. And once again, another legendary moment, you know, like just fucking sitting down with Matty B, getting this story and, um, you know, this is what it is. This is what it's all about. Just filling in, you know, putting those pieces of the puzzle together. And this is one of the men that fucking gave us countless moments. Big shouts to Matty B. Big shouts to Syllabolics crew. Be on the lookout for this uh, this new record later in the year. And, uh, man, this has been Beers Beats and the Biz for another week. Rate us on fucking wherever, Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called, Spotify. Boom, boom, boom. Rate, subscribe. Tell a friend to tell a friend. We're out of here.